was at a meeting recently and your name came up. I'm flattered London is still talking about me. It wasn't MI6. You're a kite dancing in a hurricane, Mr. Bond. Welcome to episode 22 of Central Intelligence Cinema. Buckle up because we've got our biggest episode yet, as Jason and I battle it out in the Great Spectre debate. Cue the extra special Bond theme. Beg your pardon, forgot to knock. Welcome to the CIC, initiating security clearance. My name is Napoleon Sol. Bond. James Bond. Ethan Hunt. Felix Leiter. Ilya Kuriaki. Identity confirmed. Now, pay attention, 007. Welcome to Central Intelligence Cinema, a podcast dedicated to spy movies and secret agent pop culture. Your mission, should you decide to accept it. Just remember, nothing ever goes according to plan. So, what do you think you're doing? The British Admiral, sir. Do you expect me to talk? Yeah, baby! <laughs> Recording from an undisclosed location under a beat-up old train terminal somewhere in the middle of nowhere, it's the Central Intelligence Cinema Podcast. I'm Jason Greenberg, and with me, as always, Ben Esslinger. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Jason. Welcome back to Central Intelligence Cinema. Welcome to the Battle Royale. Ding, ding. (laughs) With cheese. With cheese. (laughs) Actually, I don't think it's going to be a Battle Royale. It's just going to be a spirited debate. I'm calling this the Great Spectre Debate. We are going to uh, pick apart Spectre and uh, see what we think of it. <laughs> Obviously, I have a much different opinion than Jason does. This now, is true. I, now, I will say, when I went back to watch it this time, this is what I was saving for. <laughs> this is what I didn't want to tell you earlier. Now, I will say that upon watching it this time, I enjoyed it much more than I thought I was going to. Okay. It was more... It was. Far more enjoyable than I thought. That being said, that third act is still uh, just... The only thing that could really improve this movie is taking 20 minutes of it out. It's way too long for what it needs to be. Oh, absolutely. And I get it. Sam Mendes, I like beautiful camera shots. And I love your beautiful camera shots, Sam Mendes, but... The pacing, dude. Yeah, the pacing was a little slow in a few parts. Yeah, so today we're here to, uh, you know, get spicy... And uh, talk about sassy, the, sassy, and talk about the merits and failings of Spectre. So, uh, should we get into this? Let's do it. Mexico City. What were you doing there? I was taking some overdue holiday. So, what's going on, James? They say you're finished. What do you think? I think you're just getting started. Tell me where he is. He's everywhere. Welcome, James. You came across me so many times, yet you never saw me. What took you so long? It was me, James. The author of all your pain. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, Spectre, the 24th official chapter in the James Bond series, released in 2015, directed by Sam Mendes, his second Bond film. Daniel Craig also received co-producer credit for this film, so there's that too. Um, I... Here's my first point of contention, man. Okay, I, I, I really feel like direction was a huge issue with this movie. I How feel, so? I will say, actually, the biggest part of it is in the cutting room. That's where I have a problem. It's not so much the direction as far as how they shot it. It's the editing. It's the editing. It's edited far too slow because this movie doesn't know what the hell it wants to be. There's It's shot like it's a serious Bond movie and it's cut like a serious Bond movie. But then there's jokes and, and Roger-isms all throughout this movie that don't match that pacing and that look and that feel. And so you've... It's like listening to two pieces of music at the exact same time. It will drive you bonkers. Yeah, it's a Sam Mendes movie. It's Sam Mendes's version of a Roger Moore James Bond movie. Yeah. And if you've watched anything that Sam Mendes has done, he is all about slow, deliberate pacing, oh, yeah. building everything up to whatever the emotional climax that scene needs to have. Right. And I feel like that worked with Skyfall. But Skyfall was a much moodier movie than this one is meant to be. They wanted to make a James Bond movie with gadgets and jokes and bon mots and the whole nine yards. And that kind of pacing, like you said, does not work here. It doesn't make it a bad movie. It just makes it, like I said, it's 20 minutes too long. Yeah. You could have done everything that he did in 20 minutes less and a very neat, tidy James Bond movie without maybe the cinematic qualities that yeah. don't necessarily need to be they in a just, film like this. Yeah, I mean, just oh, that pacing. Well, you had the opportunity in the editing room to say something, Ben, and you didn't, so it's really your fault. <laughs> yeah, clearly. Clearly this is on me. <laughs> uh, as far as writing goes, we've got John Logan along with Neil Purvis and Robert Wade, duh, a.k.a. The Usual Suspects, <laughs> same guys that have been writing Bond since forever. Um, photography, the, uh, director of photography was Hoyt Van Hoytema, which is such a wonderful name to say. I love that name. Um, he, uh, also was known for Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, Interstellar, The Fighter. Uh, later on after this movie, he did Dunkirk, uh, Tenet and Ad Astra. Um, and I also did put in here that the editor on this film was Lee Smith, um, who is also someone that works frequently with Christopher Nolan. Mm-hmm. And that makes me wary of a Christopher Nolan Bond film now. Now, granted, most of the time directors have the say on how pacing goes. Mm-hmm. And they're just going to tell the editor, this is how we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. We want it slow. I, you know, And Mendes is going to be like, I want it slow and deliberate. We need to emphasize the impact of this by going slow, which I... Definitely did not agree with. This, well, in this if you want to know what a movie. Nolan Bond movie was like, watch Tenet because that's a basically a Nolan right. James Bond movie, and I wouldn't have liked that as a Bond film. I wouldn't. It's have either. too quick, and with typical Nolan, this, that, and the other, you have to get to the very end for it to make any damn sense. Yeah, Nolan was way too complicated with that thing, right. and and I worry that he would do the exact same thing to Bond if he did a James Bond movie like the Dark Knight movies. Fine. Yeah, exactly. But if he decided exactly. to go a little, you know, thinking on it like an Inception or an Interstellar, which, by the way, both of those are paced very well and excellent movies. Tenet was just like a garbage fire. And I hate to say that about Nolan movies, but it was a garbage fire from the get-go. 
And I don't know, is he actually in contention to do another Bond movie, or are we just talking about this as a theoretical? It's just a theoretical. Okay. I mean, I mean, like you I, said, I the- think Kerry Fukunaga is going to end up being brought on to do the next iteration. Yeah, really that do. makes sense. Like every interview that I've read recently makes it sound like he's in pretty good with Babs, and they've even had discussions about who could be the next Bond. Right. So that tells me that Barbara Broccoli is probably going to just go with what works assuming the movie doesn't assuming the movie does well right you know there's always that (laughs) there is always that um and like i said i mean i think that the director of photography did do a good job absolutely um i think that it's beautiful i have all the long shots come on yeah yeah especially in the uh the pre-title and the pre-title is fantastic my bigger again i think a lot of my gripes are in post Mm-hmm. Like have to do with things that happen in post. Like I don't like the way that they color graded the pre-title sequence, even though the pre-title sequence is my favorite part of the movie. I agree. It's my favorite part of the movie, but I hate the way that they graded it. Like I felt it felt washed out. Like I understand they're trying to make Mexico seem gritty and slightly sepia toned or whatever. And they're trying to make it dusty feeling and all those things. But like you don't have to lose contrast and and punching in color you don't have to make it look washed out so again like a lot of my as far as the way it's shot i have a feeling it's if i would have seen the raw footage of this movie Mm -hmm. i bet i would have liked it a little bit more than the way that they actually color graded it in post yeah there's definite color palette choices going on through the entire film right when you get the scene where you know the floating ex, uh, exposition scene, as my wife liked to call it, with Tanner and Bond in the boat. Right. Very, very blue. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, they get into sometimes the building. Sometimes it works, very, very sometimes gray. it doesn't. Yeah. Right. But, I mean, every every single scene seemed to have a color attached to it, rather than, say, a motif throughout the film. I would agree with that. Some yeah. was more clear. There was a lot more crispness and clarity in it. Yeah. Some was a little more foggy. And... You know, maybe that's that's just Mendez. Maybe he just like, yeah. this, this is my vision. And, you yeah. know, okay, that's your vision. That's fine. But a little more consistency, maybe a little better. I don't yeah. know. I don't make movies for a living. So what the hell do I do? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like one of my favorite, just from an image-wise, this is going to sound really strange, but one of the best-looking shots from the way that it was shot and the way that they did the color treatment to it is right after Bond ejects from the car. Mm-hmm. And Batista gets out of the car and that slow push towards him and the color and the lighting, mm-hmm. it is a gorgeous fucking shot. It's way too slow for the for the moment. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's inappropriate for me at least, it's inappropriate for the moment that it that that <laughs> it's happening. But as a shot, if I'm just looking at it as a shot and as a as color grading and everything else, it's a beautiful, it's like a painting. Right. So it's it's a, it's such a this is a frustrating movie for me because I feel like it could have been it could have been really good for me personally but anyway we'll continue <laughs> so by the numbers um, the budget for this movie was three hundred million and the movie made eight hundred and seventy nine point five million worldwide at the box office which uh, I think pretty much gives us our verdict on whether or not No Time to Die is actually going to break even or not. <laughs> I mean, who knows? Maybe No Time to Die is so good that people just keep coming back. We'll see. I don't know. We'll see. It's hard to say. It's a post-pandemic world. I mean, we're in a we're in a world where where people are screaming about Shang Chi. Sorry, 
Shang-Chi making $71 million over its first weekend. I'm like, in a regular world, $71 million debut on a would Marvel a movie would be a disappointment, right? Yeah. So we'll see. But, uh, you know, like uh, we discussed in the Intel report previous, I think that um, they've got a lot of legs for this movie. <laughs> yeah. And it's probably not going to decimate at the get-go, but it's going to pick up stuff as it goes along yeah. sitting I in think the it's going to gain momentum especially with all these other movies pulling out and there's nothing left to watch but bond so right so here's my this this is another big point of contention for me man is music oh so and what's funny too is I really liked Thomas Newman's uh score in Skyfall I thought it was great but the problem is is they did they pulled an old school bond with this one and they regurgitated half of the score from, you know, from Skyfall and pulled it into Spectre, which is, you know, I understand they did that back in the 70s and 60s, but that was the 60s and 70s. Like, <laughs> let's leave that there and move forward with original scores. Like, I don't know. Did you not feel that it was Bond appropriate? In some, well, actually, my biggest problem was actually where there weren't, where there wasn't any music. Because there's a couple scenes in this movie that play dry, and I fucking hate it hmm. i hate it but we'll get to that um and then even worse though Ugh. is sam smith's awful fucking song i think we can unilaterally agree on one thing in this movie and that that song is bad it is an abomination i don't know if i go abomination level but all right for bond well, it's, movies it's, it's terrible it is absolutely terrible and I urge people to go online and listen to Radiohead's uh, Spectre song that basically the only reason why Eon didn't use it is because they got notes back on it. Like Radiohead got notes back on the song and they didn't want to change anything on it, which rightly so. Like the song is brilliant. Like the Radiohead version is brilliant. And it would have been so much better. It would have made such a difference. Like it really would have made a difference. I would have been like, oh, okay. Well, considering that's your introduction to the movie. I mean, granted- the, the pre-title sequence is always kind of your introduction, but mm-hmm. in a Bond film, it can or cannot be connected to what's happening later. Sure. Um, you know, it's what gets you, it sets the tone, I guess, is better. It sets the tone for the rest of the film. Yeah. And, you know, as we're going to talk about the uh, the pre-title sequence soon, <clears throat> it, it is not enhanced or hindered by the music, but having to listen to the music while watching it makes it doubly painful. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, ugh. So, um, getting into the actors and actresses, James Bond and the Bond girls and everybody in between. Um, obviously, Daniel Craig is back as Bond. Wait a minute. Daniel Craig plays James Bond? He does. What? He does. When did this happen? Well, about 15 years ago. Well, I thought it was Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> well. Wait a minute. That wasn't Jeremy Renner in the last one? <laughs> no. Oh. Um, I, you know... For all the uh, warts in this movie that I'm that I'm not a fan of, Daniel Craig is so consistent as Bond. Like mm-hmm. you cannot fault him ever. He that, plays James Bond in a James Bond movie. He never brings anything else to it. Right, and I will say that in general, I feel like Eon does a good job of finding actors that do that. I mean, with the exception, I, I think a little bit about Diamonds Are Forever, where you can tell Connery's just sort of there for the paycheck and he's kind of phoning it in. But I mean. You know, and then more <laughs> towards the end of his tenure was a little Everybody rough. towards the end of their tenure, except for uh, Timothy Dalton, who didn't have an opportunity to get to the end of his tenure. Right. Kind of gives up at the end. A little bit, yeah. You so, know, so, so, yeah. 
it basically, guys, no time to die. You're going to see Craig phoning it in, so just don't bother to not. go see it. No, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but yeah, Daniel Craig is is class. Uh, and then as far as the Bond girls, we've got Estrella, played by uh, Stephanie Sigmund, about as underused as you would expect, for, <laughs> given she's a Bond girl in a pre-title sequence. Well, yeah. Um, but gorgeous. Um, and then we've got, of course, uh, Lucia Schiara, played by Monica Bellucci. Mm-hmm. Monica Bellucci. Yeah. But let me say something. As beautiful as she is, that's why she's there. Because mm-hmm. her acting chops are a little suspect in this I'm gonna movie. I'm going to tell you, if they'd made the Wonder Woman movie in 1995, she is totally Wonder Woman. Oh, she is totally Wonder Woman. I just... The, the, her acting job in this movie is not her finest I don't know. I think she did a great performance, what she was supposed to be. Mm. I'm not really sad, and you're hot, and I'm going to die, so let's bone. I mean, mm. she there wasn't a whole lot for her mm. to work with there. Mm. And what was that movie she did with, uh, with uh, what's his face? Oh, with, yeah. Um, Clive, a, Clive Owen. Clive Owen, yes. Shoot him up. Shoot him up, Yes. Go see it. It's an actually excellent movie that you cannot remember the title. It's a really fun popcorn movie. Yeah, absolutely. It's not a quote unquote great movie. It's just really fun to watch. Absolutely. And even her stuff in The Matrix. She had a very bit part in there. She's great in The Matrix. And she's eye candy in that too. Right. But her line delivery is so subtle in that. Right. I just, I just, I, I, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's the script. Maybe it is. Maybe you're right. Maybe it's just like what they gave her to work with mm-hmm. in this movie. But I was just, some of the lines that come out of her just sound so robotic. Like, James, don't go. Don't go, James. Right. Don't, don't go. Beep, pop, burp, beep, don't go, James. <laughs> All right, that's fair. So, but nobody, nobody, how many people have won an Oscar for being in a James Bond movie? That's true. Very, Zero people. Fair enough. There are a fair. lot of Oscar winners, but not a lot of people winning Oscars for them. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, and then, of course, the the main Bond woman, Dr. Madeline Swan, played by Leah Sadu. Now, hmm. Leah Sadu is beautiful, and she is good in her performance in She's this. She's amazing. My problem is casting. And what I mean by that is I feel I don't buy the chemistry between her and Daniel Craig. I feel like she looks, she has an extremely youthful look to her. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go as far as saying that she's on that level of, well, put some clothes on and I'll buy you an ice cream. It's it's oh, not like, dear. it's not the live and let die, or not live and let die, excuse me. It's not the- For uh, your eyes only. For your eyes only, BB doll. It's not that, but it's not far away from that. It there- just, it feels a little bit like Uncle, Uncle Daniel <laughs> is like plotting and scheming on this young- Hottie. Right. Especially when you have such an attractive, age-appropriate woman that comes along before her. Right. Right? And like, so, could you imagine if Monica Bellucci's character had been, the, the main focus had been the Madeline Swan, where you had someone that was age-appropriate to Bond, mm-hmm. very attractive, but yes. had some life yeah. living in there? Because that's the one thing I didn't buy about Leah Sadu's character about Madeline. Yeah. She just didn't come off as being... Old enough to have lived the life that she was trying to convey. Of a she doctor, lived. not even a doctor. I'm just, or just of, of the daughter of a of a right. You, there didn't feel like there was any gravity behind what she was doing, you know. Whereas yeah. with someone that was an older character or an older actor would have at least had the mileage easier. behind them 
to say, yeah, I really can sympathize with who James Bond is, having lived a life kind of adjacent to what yeah. he does. It would have been easier to buy into it. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's my problem. Like, as as far as her performance, her performance is great. I just don't buy the chemistry. That's my big that, issue. That, then that's totally fair. Um, and then obviously we've got um, Naomi Harris is back as Money Penny. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> we've got uh, Ralph Fiennes back as M or Rafe. Is it Rafe? It's Rafe. Oh God, I'm such an asshole. It's all um, right. It's, it's he's the asshole for saying his name wrong. So we've got uh, <laughs> Rafe Fiennes back as M. We've got Ben Wishaw back as Q in. Now, this, I will say, is a high point for me in this movie. I love him in this movie. It, absolutely. He is so, he is the comic relief in this movie that works every time he's in frame. But I he's love still him. competent. In every, yes. Uh, you, you never, unlike Desmond Llewellyn's Q, who you knew was competent, you never really felt like there was this air of arrogant competence about him. Or even worse, uh, John Cleese. Like he's oh, well, not the bumbly John Cleese. Right. He's very much, I know what I'm doing. I'm not too smart for my own good, but smart, super smart anyway. Right. And, and annoyed, constantly yeah, constantly annoyed. annoyed by the fact that he he knows that this guy who's jerking him around is almost always right. And he's trying to do the right thing, but he has all these stakes in his own personal life to go along with it. Right. And he plays that tension <laughs> amazingly. Yeah. And then ends up saving the day, literally saving the day at the end. Yeah. Because he's the one that stopped the bad thing from happening. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, kudos to to uh, Q's character in this, whether it was, you know, partly it is it is for sure his performance as Q. I mean, he delivers. Absolutely. Um, and then, of course, Rory Kinnear is back as Tanner, which, you know, he does the job. I don't think they gave him a lot to work with. You know what Tanner's first name is, don't you? Exposition. Exposition Tanner. <laughs> yep. They, they just call him Expo for short. <laughs> Expo Tanner. Expo Tanner. <laughs> um, and then, uh, of course, Christoph Waltz. <laughs> Christoph Waltz! <laughs> As Blofeld, a.k.a. Uh, uh, Hans Oberhauser. Or Franz. Ober Fra I'm sorry. Franz Oberhauser. <laughs> Not his brother yeah. Hans. <laughs> Not his brother Hans. <laughs> This is, of course, Franz Oberhauser. And he wants to go to James Bond and say, James, we're here to pump you, you up. up. Okay, all right, all everybody, right then, yeah. let's do this. Let's do it. <laughs> so I uh, see, again, this it, now this is the one directing thing where I will say is on the production side of things that I have a problem with. I feel like I get the impression that Sam Mendes probably told Christoph Waltz to stay back a little bit and don't go full tilt crazy, which I think would have been better. Agreed. I think that if Christoph Waltz would have given us the like nutter Blofeld, that like, I think that would have been so much more to like watch and enjoy. I just, his, his reserved take on it does not work for me. And he waits too long to show the nuttery. Right. Like the nuttery doesn't come until like the last like 20 minutes of the movie. Right. Like you got to show that earlier, man. I don't know. You, you got your get your benchmarks. You got your Donald Pleasance Blofeld. Very subtle. Yes. Mm. With the kitty cat. <laughs> Dr. Evil. That's your that's your Donald Pleasance. Yeah. And then you've got the Telly Savalas. I love Telly Savalas though. Right. And I do too. But they are distinctly one thing and the other. Yeah. And he at the you're right. He played too much Donald Pleasance and didn't commit all the way through. Yeah. So when he finally goes full on Telly Savalas, you're like, 
oh, look, Christoph Waltz is in this movie because he just basically plays the guy from Inglorious Bastards at that point. Yeah. And who cares? Yeah. Yeah. So for me, that's a miss. That's something that could have been much better. And I'll tell you, when they told me they were casting him as a bad guy, I'm like, Hans Landa isn't going to make it. It just, it's not. I I love Christoph Waltz, Mm -hmm. but I don't think he's genuinely designed to play a bad guy unless he's in a Quentin Tarantino movie where he gets to talk a lot. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I I, kind of, and it turned out to be the miss I thought it was. Clearly, if you want somebody with Kristoff in their name, Kristoffer Walken would have been a better choice. Right, exactly. Because we hear, why we hear, have been (laughs) Blofeld. Wow. Wow. (laughs) I mean, we. Good day, James. (laughs) I'm the author of All Your Pain. We here at the uh, Christopher Walken fan club. Would like to submit our request. <laughs> Finish it, James. <laughs> I'm sitting here on the ground. Practically dead already. Uh, I've got this thing in my eye. You it's, might as well do it. Just, just show Oh, you're going to leave me here. Fine. I'll come back in the next episode. You'll see. Ooh. So. <laughs> and then I. Now, on the flip side, man, Hinks is such a highlight of this movie. Holy crap, yes. Dave Bautista is so I good. I want him to have not died going off that train right? and come back in the next movie. Why can't we? Oh, I want him I want him coming back the way that Jaws, Jaws comes back. Yes. yes. He is that good in this movie. <laughs> He's one of the best parts of this movie oh, as well. Oh, absolutely. And uh, you know, I, I, even my wife was like, isn't he going to shoot him? I'm like, no, because he has to come back in the next act. Right. And she's like, what kind of a guy? That, did he run out of bullets? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you would say you think a guy at Bond's level would be like, I shut him, you know, this guy, just in case. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then uh, we have Andrew Scott as C. I also like him a lot. Absolutely, he's never played. A, I don't. I can't think of anything he's ever played as a bad guy other than Moriarty yeah. and the Sherlock Holmes thing. Right. But he usually comes off as, "Hey, I'm a good guy" type of thing. So he totally is the best guy for this role because you don't think there's anything bad about him. Right. Well, and the other thing about him is. His eyes are so dark mm-hmm. that they almost look like animal eyes. They're mm-hmm. like, oh man, he you, like. That's why he was so good as Moriarty. Yeah, exactly. I loved him as Moriarty, actually. Um, so yeah, he's good too because he plays he plays this role perfectly. Yeah. He plays that like an upper, arrogant, high, an upper level management, arrogant, sinister, yeah, cocky, which just makes the like, payoff so much better. Oh yeah, yeah. The fact that he's basically. His own demise is almost his own his own fault anyway. Exactly. Yeah. And he plays it so straight all the way through. Yeah. Even to where he starts getting a little pissy about things, saying what he really feels. Yeah. You still feel like he hasn't become a different character. He's just finally letting everything out of the bag that he couldn't while he's trying to be PCC. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. So, um, and then finally, uh, Jesper Christensen is back as Mr. White. He does a great job. He absolutely does. Some of that makeup does the heavy lifting for him. True. But true. compared to how he portrayed the character before. It was it was a lot more wooden in the previous ones, whereas this Well, he's he's got that cool maniacal thing in Quantum. Yeah, but I think you you genuinely get the fact that he's he's a guy that has just given up. He knows he's at the end of his line. Right. So he's just like, whatevs. So yeah, he just goes full tilt on it. And it, I and hope, it works. Mr. Bond, you came in in a very good boat shot before you showed up down here, looking <laughs> all dapper in your coat and hat. <laughs> bye bye. 
So, uh, yeah, I guess we'll get into the uh, the actual movie now. Let's do it. Okay, so the uh, pre-title sequence, as I mentioned before, my favorite part of the whole thing. Can I just go say this is my favorite pre-title sequence of any Bond movie ever? Really? Just the, and this is where I will say Mendez knows how to do something. The one long, the single long shot, cut. The follow shot. Right. The music, even the pacing. Everything about this that, is great. I'll give him I'll give you that one cuz this that follow shot and the pacing and the music and everything is perfect. And and again, like I said, this is I don't know if I'd say this is my favorite pre-title, but it's definitely up there. I mean, it it definitely does it's spectacular looking. I mean, the fact that they created an entire event that was so inspired that Mexico City themselves decided to turn this into a yearly thing that they're actually going to keep doing even after this Bond movie happened, that's saying something. Absolutely. And the fact that uh, Bionic Bond filmed the entire thing. Well, Bionic Daniel Craig. James Bond, right? (laughs) You have it in your notes right here that he is James Bond. He is. He is indeed James Bond. But that he did that entire scene wearing some kind of a leg brace but you can't even see so that couldn't have been a very good leg brace that oh, just, I just i'm sorry that when i saw or heard that's that commitment when i heard that and i'm like i know he broke his leg I, I read the news right right i had no idea what was filmed before and after that thing and you yeah. can't even tell it happened yeah it's so. it's kudos to daniel so essentially this scene uh, all we know about this plot wise is that bond is stopping a bomb from being set off in a stadium um, well, he that, doesn't know that until he listens on the right, thing. Right. We don't even know that at this point. We just know that he's trying to kill this guy. That's all we really yeah, know. That's in, his whole impetus there is to find the guy, shoot the guy. Yeah. We find out later, later why he wants to shoot the guy, but that's his whole thing. He just happens to pick up some things with his super microphone laser. Laser. Laser microphone. <laughs> um, if I'm to back up even further, I do appreciate that there's finally a Daniel Craig uh, gun barrel sequence at the beginning of the movie. Uh It's the the first one in the Daniel Craig series where you actually get the classic gun barrel before the movie starts. So, yay. It's pretty great. I'll tell you, you so when they cut into it, you see uh, the guy from The Godfather that uh, Vito Corleone eventually kills. (laughs) I'm like, really? The white suit with the red flower in the hat? Come on, Sam. Callbacks. Come on. So <laughs> it's, it's a little, little heavy on the nose yeah. there. And he walks back, you know, Dapper Bones Bond. I'm like, weren't you in Live and Let Die? <laughs> I think we're in the wrong Bond movie here. <laughs> um, yeah, that long continuous shot is awesome. Estrella is gorgeous. But okay, now here's here's the thing that I have an issue with. Again, I love this pre-title sequence. What would have made it better, though, is that at the end, instead of him just flying off in the helicopter, if he would have met back up with Estrella at well, the end. Do you remember when How he's flying? How awesome would that have been? Right. If he, it, that would cut, have been a if, true Bond ex- pre-title. Exactly. If, if we cut back to the room where she was in and he came in and said, now, where were we? Well, see, or something like that. When he's flying off, did you notice there's a one building with a helipad that's on it? It's got the circle with the H. I was like, what if he just... Bloop, landed. They show him landing Went the helicopter, down, going and then goes into the room. Right, right. And let's talk about the room for a minute. Now, the whole flirty thing on the elevator, all that was amazing where she takes the key out. Oh, it's, it's, it really works. And you go in there. There's more, there's more chemistry between him I agree. and her than, than him and I agree with that. <laughs> Leah Sadu. Honestly, that was her only stage direction. Think Daniel Craig is hot. 
Yeah. Even I could do that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But I've seen the GQ magazine spread. That's right. Was there a phone booth in that hotel room that allowed him to change like Superman out of his one tight fitting suit yeah. into another tight fitting suit yeah, in I know. seven seconds? I know. I know. I'm like, I'll buy Sean Connery having a tux under a wetsuit. But a, but a, a three piece suit, suit under, under a, a tight two piece suit. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, eh, I don't know about that. <laughs> and also I heard, I read somewhere that like throwing a hat on a bed is bad luck or something like that, and huh. he, which he promptly does in this. Well, and then it turns out to be not good luck for him. So maybe there's something there to that. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I, I spent most of the, after my first rewatching of this, trying to figure out the time frame. like, Everything else is so slow in your movie, Sam Mendes. You couldn't have given me four more seconds to believe he threw on a pair of pants. Right. And had the jacket hanging Even if there. he's just like, yeah, even if he's just like finishing tidying up the jacket. Well, even if he's yeah. just like like buttoning up the, the jacket Because before she he was leaves. on the bed looking like, hmm. Yeah, right? exactly. So he was clearly getting undressed, but he had to be doing it at super speed. So how could she be like, hmm, he's a blur. Right. <laughs> Movies. Uh, yeah. Um. I'm not crazy about the CGI wall that comes down after he makes does the explodey thing when yeah. like suddenly the wall that that part didn't work for me. But landing on the couch did. That yeah, that was great. Well, here that, again, this is another one of my points with this movie is if you're going to make if you're going to make a Roger Moore movie, make a Roger Moore movie. Right. And that's a perfect Roger Moore Absolutely. moment. Absolutely. But then he gets up and makes it a Craig moment by the adjusting like he I does know. in the train from I Skyfall, know. which is fantastic, though. It, it is fantastic. It's just, again, like, you have these great moments like that. and then, But then, like, later on in the movie, like, they slow the pace down and, and it ceases to be that thing that's, like, charming. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's what this movie needed was more, like, charming moments and less... I'm going to try and make this as impactful as possible. Or make moments. less charming moments and make the whole movie impactful. You got to pick one, one you, or the other. Right. You got to pick one or the other. And they All and right. I feel like they didn't do that. Um, now, let me ask you, is, has a building ever fell down in a Bond movie on him before? I couldn't remember any time where uh, something has collapsed or something like that, where he's slid down or something action-y like that. Yeah. No. Um, that, that seems like a first. So... So I, and I only I only ask that because I'm like, this seems like something that would have happened in a Roger Moore movie. Right. Although, because it was an accident, it seems like it would have fit more into a Connery movie. But the actual act of it happening seemed more like a Roger Moore thing. And this, well, not second watching, when my wife was watching, I kept driving her nuts because I'm like, Roger Moore, Roger Moore, Sean Connery, Roger Moore. Right. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, just pointing out all the things I'm going to tell Ben are like his favorite movies. Um, <laughs> Now, I got to say, my, the best part of this movie for me is the helicopter flight because oh, the helicopter yeah. does some wackadoo stuff. I was going to. Physics is fully in play, which makes me super happy. Yeah, I will say that another highlight for sure is like when it flips and both Bond no! and the, they're bracing. Yeah. yeah, they're bracing to like <laughs> as this thing is flipping over and they're like, oh shit. Like that was actually believable. Right. So. And like the when it does the dead, it, it the stalls d- out. Yeah, it stalls out going straight up. Like that's another great moment. Yeah, I mean, I have no problems really. If I'm being picky, it would have been great if he would have circled back to right to see her. But otherwise, it's fantastic. It's well, a fantastic you, pre-title sequence. What makes you wonder if they film that and like you know it doesn't tie into the the actual title sequence or something better, and they cut it because it flowed better. Right. But yeah, he totally should have gone back. Yeah. 
So, and then, of course, that's when, after the fight, then, you know, Bond's got the ring, and he's flying off into the sunset with the with the helicopter, and then we see the Spectre logo, and then we fade into the title credits. And, ugh. You know what, though? Um, somebody online has matched up the Radiohead song with the title credits, and it's so much better. It's it's so much. You can you can watch it and not because I at this point like when I wa- when I watched it for this review, I just turned the sound off because I can't handle mm-hmm. Sam Smith's song. It's that bad. I will tell you, you could not have a song and it's automatically better. Oh yeah, right. Oh for but, sure, because the graphics themselves are great. They they yeah. All right, well they uh, they might be slightly too sensually strangely sensual. I don't. But, uh, okay, it's me. I realize that I'm Jason. And okay. I am how I am. Right. But all I keep thinking are the aliens from Arrival when I see this thing. <laughs> and so I'm not getting a, a octopus specter vibe. I'm getting a... Oh, okay. <laughs> kind of vibe. And I'm like, this is not a sci-fi movie. This is a James Bond movie. Right. Sci-fi movie comes out two weeks after the James Bond movie. <laughs> so why am I watching this? And... Has there ever, again, I'm going to keep throwing these has there ever been's because you're right. the Bond guy. Has there ever been a pre-title sequence where Bond has no clothes on? No. Because Danny Craig is a little nicky nicky from what I can tell. Well, there. oh yeah, in the actual. Uh, yeah, in the pre-title in credits. The, in yeah. the credits. Yeah. No. I don't think I've ever seen, it's always Bond in a suit. Well, I mean, you know, they're trying to they're trying to modernize Bond. They're trying to, you, you know. It's not at all creepy when little oily tentacles are crawling all over him. Well, it is creepy, but... Is, I don't like that. Well, that's the whole point, though, because it's Spectre, and Spectre's it, a creepy I know, octopus thing that's come to, to, come it's to kill him. It's going to attach itself to his face and put a baby in him! <laughs> Do you want a xenomorph with his skill set? <laughs> Nobody wants that. Nobody wants a xenomorph with Bond's skill set. <laughs> We have gone off the rails already. We have, it's because this whole thing is off the rails. You know, it's it's as a pre-title sequence, it's fine, right? Oh, you it, mean as, as a credit? As a credit sequence, yeah. yeah, it's fine. It isn't great. It isn't bad. It is what it is. It's slightly right. more disturbing than most of them. Yes, and it's but not it, my favorite of the of the Craig series for sure. I would say Skyfall and Casino are probably my yes. favorite of the two as far as credits, just graphically I credits and, and that sort of thing. So yeah, so that's that. <laughs> Forgot I put in my notes. You know what? There's too much pussy in this <laughs> title credit scene. Octopussy. Oh jeez. Sorry, it's a bad joke, but I had to say it. I'm leaving it in. Okay. <laughs> so we get to the first scene. Finally, we're, we're finally we finally made it to the to the actual movie after the credits, and it's uh, M's office, and of course M's super mad at Bond. And uh, Mexico City, what were you doing there? What's the official word? You know, they're about to shut down MI6 as it is. Why the fuck would you think that you had any authorization to do such a thing? And then Bond, you're absolutely right, sir. You are having a stressful week. Yes. <laughs> this is, and, and again, like, I didn't necessarily tick, like, leave little hash marks as to which scenes I thought worked and which ones didn't. But I will definitely say this one works. Right. Well... Because it starts in M's office. It's it a perfect bond. Like it's opening. supposed to. Right. But without aside from the fact he didn't walk into the office and throw the hat on the rack, right. which maybe would have been a smidge too much since uh, probably would have he been doesn't wear it. a hat. Right. Um, <laughs> but this may be what, the first time we've had an antagonistic relationship like that between an M and a Bond? Maybe this early on. I mean, we've had that, we've certainly had that with uh with Timmy D. Yeah, I guess that's probably true. You know, and license to kill. I mean, he basically says he resigns and like 
huffs off and go does his right. mission without you know any authorization. That's 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 true. So I guess similar in that point. But you know it's funny, and I, I've never noticed this before. You can tell when Rafe Fiennes is getting into the anger part because his bottom lip sucks back into his head. And I'm like, he does that when he's Voldemort and pissed off too. I was about to say, does his nose disappear and he just has little slits? I was waiting. <laughs> I was waiting. Pull out the Elder Wand. Really, Mr. Bond? <laughs> Ministry of Spying Magic. <laughs> anyway, sorry. 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 It is a very good scene. Yes. The two of them both get to show their acting chops of restoring strained anger and smart assery. Yes. Which yes. should be always, M should be slightly pissed off right. at Bond for something and Bond should always be slightly, eh, fuck you. And I do like the fact too that that M sort of is pissed but kind of knows that Bond is up to more than meets the eye. And so right. he's, he's just mad that he's having to be sort of patient about it and that Bond isn't forthcoming with more information about what he's found. Right, which of course Bond's not because he knows he's batshit crazy. He's going off a very slight lead from a dead lady that Mal- Bo- Mallory would never sign off on. So right. he, he doesn't want to give him the opportunity to tell him no. Right, exactly. Now, this moment when C comes in, oh, <laughs> It's so good. It's so good. Oh, it is. I think it is the best exchange in the film, period, between Bond and C. Oh, it's just... Well, it's a pleasure to finally meet you, 007. I've heard a lot about you. Most of it good. Congratulations on your new appointment. Thank you. I suppose we should call you C now. No, no. Max, please. No, I think I'll call you C. C. That was the best part. I think I'll call you C. See, and then he gives it the whole well, you know, my employees type yes. of line. Oh, god, which, so arrogant. He just, he, yes. his retort is so good. Yes, so it that's a really good little uh, the, again, that whole scene very well done, very well acted, very well written. All of it fantastic. Didn't necessarily carry through the entire film, but it's right. definitely one of those bits that is so good at establishing everything that's going to happen in your movie. Right. You automatically know how Who the good things- guys are, who the bad guys are, <clears throat> where the tension is coming from. You know how it's going to shake down. Yep, exactly. So then uh, from there, Bond's walking outside. He's going to his car and Money Penny catches up to him with his- her little care package from Skyfall. <laughs> and you're like, wasn't that a bigger castle than that? <laughs> yeah. This is all you got from it? This is all you were able to salvage from Skyfall? And amazing how it seems to further the plot along when he opens it up later. Hmm. hmm. So, yeah. So she catches up and and he's like, give it to me later. My place, eight o'clock or whatever. And me being me, <laughs> I was like, are they going to finally do it? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, no, of course not. you could tell from her reaction that they weren't, nothing was going oh, to happen. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then you find out later when they gets to, she gets to his apartment, which, by the way, fantastic how the apartment so, has nothing in right. it. Right. Well, it's very Bond. It's right, because he's bond. never there. Right. Why would he take the time to, like, put Decorate shit up it. when he's only going to be there, like, a day at a time? Right. And then he's off flying off to fucking it, Turkey or something. Exactly. You know, you come in, the whole scene, you still think they're going to be kissy, kissy, flirty, flirty. Right. And then Bond's like, no, I brought you here to show you something, more or less, well, because you're the only person yeah. I trust. He is. I, I do like at the end, he does get flirty flirty at the end. Of course he does. So we finally get the reveal that the whole reason he's in Mexico is that... Message from the grave. Message from the grave. You know, old Emma. <laughs> a- Emma Emma left him this video, and he had to go kill uh, Skiara. And, uh, and, and then not see who shows up at the funeral. See who shows up at the funeral. Hmm. 
Very interesting. Mm -hmm. The video from M is actually the part of the continuity that I really like. Mm -hmm. Mainly just because I'll watch anything with... Judy Dench? Yeah. And yet, it follows so much better because that is totally something her M would have done. Yes. So... Yeah, it's very to her character. Exactly. So it's not like a bit of retcon or exposition to wrench into something. Right. It it's makes legitimate. perfect sense for her to have done something like that. Right. It doesn't feel ham-fisted or forced mm -mm. or... Mm -mm, not at all. Yeah. And then I do like the slight sexual tension at the end of, of that little meeting where she's like, you want me to be your mole. To be your mole. And he's like, hmm, yes. <laughs> 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 so, so there's that. And then, of course, after she leaves, we get the foreshadowing of the Bond's temporary guardianship papers and the picture right. of him with Oberhauser with Oberhauser's uh, face burned. burned burned out or whatever. I like how the bulldog was sitting on the coffee table, though. Yeah. That's you know, a just nice a touch. little nod. Little touches. Yeah. You know, because Bond obviously doesn't care about his surroundings. So he probably got it and set it down on right. the table like, eh. and never thought about it again. Exactly. And it's been sitting there for like months. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> and again, I do think that Sam Mendes is a good director in a lot of respects. Like he pays attention to those details. Mm -hmm. He does make those things. It's just, there's just a couple decisions in here that really work against him, at least for me. But again, the f this first half of the movie is far better to me than the second half. And, and you'll see that as we go along. <laughs> so, oh, here we go. So <laughs> the exposition boat. That's right. So then we get to uh, Expo Tanner. <laughs> and, and James Bond on the boat, and they're heading down the Thames, uh, talking about all the, you know, everything that's happened. Um, we see the MI6 building that's still charred and and all blowied up from right from Silva's handiwork. Silva, and uh, and then we see C's big new shiny building, um, and we find out about the Nine Eyes project and how he's trying to consolidate the intelligence uh, community of nine different countries. Right, so that everybody shares assets and information, which I have a hard time believing would ever happen in real life, especially China. Yeah, I mean, no. they go out of the way to show China because obviously for the Chinese market, sure. But China's never, never going to participate never, in anything with the Western right, countries. It would never fucking happen. But no, anyway. no offense, China, to our Chinese <laughs> listeners. <laughs> that's right. Um, but uh, we all know how that's going to play out. Right. Exactly. I do like right at the very end of this scene, after we get through all the exposition and they get underneath and they're about to like walk to to Q's place. Tanner's like warns Bond that it's slippery. slippery. Holds out his hand. Holds out his hand and Bond just jumps up like, fuck you, I don't need you. Yeah, exactly. I'm fine. Exactly. <laughs> it's such a, a 182 from the way he was in Skyfall where uh -huh. where you're kind of questioning whether he even had the physical capacity to be an right. agent anymore. Whereas in this one, he is full blown like I am capable of doing, I am the Bond right. that you know. Right. Well, you know? and I feel like it's a subtle dig at Tanner's whole existence. <laughs> yeah. Is to be the guy who hands things to people. Yeah. And hands plot to the, the viewers. That's right. it. Yeah. He, he doesn't really do anything and drive the car. Right. It's or a little, the boat. <laughs> it's, it's a little unfortunate considering he's a much more yeah. prominent Rory role in the books. Right. Well, and Rory Kinnear is completely wasted on the oh, character. Oh, yeah. He's such a great actor. actor. Yeah. yeah. So, anyway, so then we get to Q's shop. And uh, again, everything, everything with Q is just, it's gold for it me. It looks like a proper Q lab. It really does. A little I mean, disheveled. 
the, the dark o- and smoky. The only thing it's missing is it needs a couple guys in lab coats, like having some sort of blunder in the corner. That's somewhere. the only. But there was a guy in a lab coat, which made me laugh even more. <laughs> that was an assistant, like Desmond Llewellyn, always had a guy with a lab coat handing him off whatever he was giving right. to James. Right. Um, the smart blood thing, eh, it's fine. Whatever. It's, it's definitely a plot device. Yeah. You know that technology's not even close at this point. Right. But like, like smart blood's really going to be able to detect your 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 vitals and where you are. And I mean, it'll detect where you are probably, but it would never be able to detect all your vitals and be reporting all that. Well, and, and the thing that makes me wonder why go for blood? Why not go for a transmitter that's put inside you? Like that's been the standard for. 40 years. Right. It makes more sense that you can inject something the size of a pill into somebody than to put blood that magically does. But let's yeah. face it, the computer portion of this was very magical. Oh, oh, that that is another one of my big contentions with this movie is all of the computer wizardry in this is all bullshit. It's exactly. such fucking bullshit. It's just somebody said, well, we can do this the logical way and add another hour to this movie, or we can just wave our magic wand and make things happen. Let's right. make things happen, says Sam Mendes. I know this movie's eight hours if we don't cut it down somewhere. Right, exactly. So we get the little line about, you may feel a small shink prick. <laughs> <laughs> and then he said, <laughs> yeah, and then of course we get the Aston Martin reveal, which is gorgeous. But yeah. of course it's not for him because he fucked up. Yeah. So it's now it's going to double nine, nine, right? Yeah. Oh, and then he gets the watch. He's the like, watch. "Does it do anything?" It tells the time. time. <laughs> it has a very loud alarm. If you know what I'm saying, though, <laughs> I think I do. <laughs> and how about that Omega placement, huh? Oh uh, yeah, uh? yeah. Do we focus on that a little longer? Just yeah, and just make sure it's in full, like you know, perfect focus. And, of course, it gets the glory money shot towards the end. Like, if I buy that watch and it doesn't glow red when it gets to one minute, I'm taking that shit back for $4,000. That's a lot more than $4,000. For (laughs) $48,000. For $48,000, that thing better fucking blow up is what I'm saying. I also like Q's joke that falls flat. When yes. He's like, when he's like, he laughs to himself about, I said, bring it back in one piece, not bring back one piece. And he's like <laughs> chuckling at it. He's all and proud Tanner's of this joke. laughing behind him too. <laughs> and Bond's just like, shut up. Just shut up. Also, in this scene, mm-hmm. now correct me if I'm wrong in the lineage of this particular Aston Martin. Didn't Bond win this in Casino Royale? And then we found it in a warehouse with M in Skyfall, right? Yes. So why yes. does... Ben Whitshaw think that it's it's MI6's car. Well, I mean, yeah. granted, Bond didn't buy those... it with the machine guns in the ejector seat. So, but it was at his car that he took over and said, "Q, do something cool with my car." And Q's like, "All right, fine." But now that it becomes our car, I just yeah. it the seemed con- like a disconnect the to me. A little jumbly. I mean, it's it could be one of those things where you have to assume that Casino comes before Goldfinger. And then Skyfall comes after Goldfinger. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, Cause, yeah. Because that way, that way he wins the car. Then it goes to MI6. They soup it up. He gets it in Goldfinger. He uses all the fun gadgets right. on it. Then he gets it and he keeps it until Skyfall. And then it gets blowied up. And then... See, and as far as like the retconning thing goes, that doesn't even work for me. I don't look at these Roger Craig movies as a ta- or Daniel Craig as attached to any of the other movies in the past. Yeah, it's for me it was a solid hard reboot when it started. Right. So it is what it is from where it goes. And I know it's a little nitpicky for me. It's just sort of like 
why would he even say that it was his car? Like you're acting like it belongs to you, right? And it's not even yours. If James Bond wants to blow up his Aston Martin, he can do whatever the hell he wants, right? So right. quit being a whiny little bitch, Q. <laughs> so it's an interesting one. Um, and then I do like also at the end again the fact that we see some of the stakes for Q about if I put stick my neck out for you, it's like I also have a mortgage and two cats to feed. Right. Well, yeah, and that's <laughs> and he's like, Well, I suppose you should uh, help me out then for the sake of the cats. <laughs> right. Right. Well, I do like in this one. <laughs> it's like of course, there will be some calibration hours for or errors for twenty four hours, forty eight hours. <laughs> but after forty eight hours, it works perfectly fine. <laughs> so then we cut to Money Penny, and she's <laughs> this is great. She's in the office, or she comes into the office, and there's some flowers and a box waiting for her. And she opens it up, and it's a phone, and it's from James. Now this. This is a point of this is a point that bothers me is how and I'm fast forwarding a little bit but still wouldn't Bond be smart enough to give Money Penny a phone that's essentially a burner That's that you, what he did that you can't trace But the thing is is we get the direct recording of her Talking to Bond. Yeah, because they have the greatest spy network or intelligence gathering network ever in that building. I it guess. didn't matter what Bond get him. You know it's a burner because look what kind of phone it is. Well, yeah, I know. But at the same time, it just it just felt like there had to be some workaround so that C couldn't hear that conversation or record it. If Bond, maybe Bond didn't anticipate that being that level of coverage. I that's mean, true. That's you know, true. I, I, Mallory just, didn't. Yeah, that's true. It just felt a little, for whatever reason, I, I guess I'm being picky Well, and about we're that. even assuming that he got it off of the phone. They could have had somebody out in front of Money Putty's house with a boom mic. Well, it could have been, yeah. And it could have also been Bond's phone, too. Yeah, I mean, that was, that was he was talking to her through the car. Right, so there's right. so many other ways. It's just, I almost lost the subtlety of that being a burner phone. I'm like, why the hell did Bond get her a phone? Okay. I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the best part of that is when Mallory comes in. Oh, oh, I know. It's like just a gift from one of my admirers. And he's like, it's not, your, such, was, it's not your birthday, is it? And he, no. And then he walks in and that she's was like, last week. that was last week. And the look on her face is just like, because you're a dick. <laughs> and then the other good part of this little quick scene, too, is just as Q is about to go into his office, some guy says, oh, 009 was just here or something like that. Yeah, to, 009's to, here to pick up the, the to, Aston. The to DB pick up 10. the Aston. And he goes to open the door and the door's already open, a, just a sliver. And he goes in and the door and the garage door opens up and all there is is a chilled bottle of Bollinger <laughs> sitting on the ground where the Aston should have been. That's it's a lovely little moment. It absolutely is. Because then you cut to Bond driving said Aston Martin into right. Rome. Exactly. So now we're in Rome and Bond's driving. I will say those initial shots are gorgeous. Oh, and of course the car itself. The car itself is such a beautiful automobile. Oh, yeah. Um, Can we talk about the inside of the car for a minute? I I love how he's got all the switches and they're literally Dymo labels underneath them. Yeah. With vague descriptions of what they do. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's a a nice... Well, I, I thought it was fun that it wasn't properly... It just felt very like... Uh, jerry-rigged almost. Yeah, exactly. Like it, it wasn't smoothly integrated like it was in the old Bond cars of, of Exactly. The, of the it day. wasn't super refined or but, anything. you know, backfire. I'm like, okay, that's guns. Atmosphere. I thought smokescreen. Right. And of course you get the gag later. It's not smokescreen. Right. <laughs> so, 
So yeah, so Bond arrives in Rome, and then we get to the funeral of Marco Schiara. And this is, like, I like this scene, but at the same time, I thought it was a weird place to hold the ceremony. Just in, just as far as where it was being held. The fact that it was, like, outside, in the middle of this, like, outdoor hall type thing. It's a mausoleum. That's where you put dead people. Okay. Uh, I just... <laughs> I, did you not notice I'm, as he was walking by well, no, horizontally, I, I, there's names of people? No, I, I, I get it. I, I get it. It was just, <laughs> it just, I, I guess I had never seen an actual funeral procession happen so close to where the actual uh, mausoleum is. Normally it's right. like, it's usually still held in the church or, or mm-hmm. I don't know. It was just, a, it was just a little different for me. But what I will say about it is that it's a lovely place as far as, what he was trying, what Sam Mendes was trying to get across here, because you have that great moment where everyone just leaves the yes leaves the frame, and it, and because of where they're at, that makes it it makes it very easy for all those people to leave the frame without you know what I mean, right? Plus, it gives you a nice, literally square frame to put just a single woman and the two people man. in bond, right? All of the key players in the next scene, right? Exactly, and I do like the little like. A little glint from from uh, Franz Oberhauser, <laughs> you know, just kind of like like he knows that Bond's behind him, mm-hmm. but he's not going to like reveal himself to him right there. And then you know he walks out, and then we get the fun little thing about I, I sell life insurance or whatever, <laughs> which <laughs> which is kind of fun. And I also like the uh, the like cheeky wave, that, the little that, hand wave, the little hand wave that, that Bond gives to the uh-huh. two to the two guards. Ciao, Bella. <laughs> Again, Monica Bellucci's performance in this in this area is a little, eh, but whatever. I'll I'll just I'll just move on. <laughs> hey, you got to look at Monica Bellucci for like seven and a half minutes. So I did. So there take is what that. you can get at. Yeah, it. exactly, exactly. So then Bond catches up to Lucia Schiara at home. Now I will say this: that set is gorgeous, right? And how it's filmed is amazing. Yeah, you get this whole the, sense of the full pullback on the it's. Just the camera's just like going backwards the whole time as she's walking forwards. It's a it she goes is through a the motions of like what she would normally do, but you can tell on this is where she excelled. You could tell on her face this is the last drink she's going to have. This is the last time she's going to turn this light on. Right. I mean, maybe the verbal dialogue wasn't so great, but in terms of the nonverbal communication, she was in this scene. I will agree because by the time she gets outside. And you're fully focused on her, and you see the guys in the background. And that level expects, of resignation is right there on right. her face. She's just bracing for death at that point. And then you hear, <laughs> <laughs> "Hey, so, those guys didn't shoot their guns." <laughs> so that I mean, I will again. We're still in the first half, uh-huh. and this this is another good scene. Up until now, this is the part that I know that we're going to disagree on. I understand that he just saved her life, mm-hmm. but and she's. And yet, at the same time, she's aggravated that he probably only saved her like five minutes of her of her life, mm-hmm. and that ultimately Bond is responsible for her life being in danger now because he killed Marco. Right. And so there's supposed to be sexual tension there, like because they there's next thing you know they're doing it. And for me, I didn't. I just didn't feel it. You didn't? No. Are you kidding? I, I didn't. I've I never just... seen two people talking that seemed sexier than that without the intent of it actually being a porn scene at the end of it. I just didn't get the vibe from her 
until he started like, until he literally started kissing her. And then suddenly I was like, okay, now I'm in. Now I get it. Now I guess I get it. But like, there wasn't like a, there was just something about it that I didn't. didn't That's fair. I I totally got it. And it felt very much like a typical, I need to get information. I'm going to screw you to get it. This is a total James Bond 101 move. Right. And this one, this particular woman was at least cognizant of what was happening. Right. And I mean, maybe it's just who the actress was, but yeah, I was I was I sold on it. I don't even know if it was necessarily that it was Monica Bellucci or her performance. I kind of wonder if they there just needed to be a couple more lines that sold me on the fact that she was sort of turned on by him or like feeling turned on because he saved her. I think, but yeah, you're missing a little bit of pre get to the meat of it exposition at the beginning, pour you a drink. Yeah. A couple of like, yeah. you know, yeah. little warm up there before yeah. he goes full tilt. Okay. foreplay. I could, yeah. Okay. I can, I can see that. I think that's Because where... that's how most of them normally go in these movies. Yeah. And Bond's very suave and debonair. And in this one, he's kind of straight to the point. I'm saved your life. I'm going to continue to save your life. I need information. You're hot. I'm hot. You let's don't have, like your husband. Have... I don't have a husband. Let's just do this. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's, I think that's what I was missing. Is like there wasn't that little have a drink, talk a little bit more before we actually like just decide to jump each other's bones. Right. And again, maybe like the scene where you you wanted Bond to go back to Australia at the end. Yes. Sam Mendes is just like, maybe there was more and they had to cut it down for time because nobody's going to go to a three-hour James Bond movie. They're just not. Well, have, okay. you, have you seen how long the new one? How long want, No Time to la, Die? La, 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 not this thing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, so then we, you know, at the end, you know, she's like, "We <laughs> get that, James. Don't go. Don't go, James. D- James, don't, don't go. Don't I gloss am a over. I am a robot. <laughs> James, don't go. <laughs> don't gloss over the Felix connection. I did like the Felix connection because he's he's at least in the movie. He is at least by name. <laughs> so I did like the fact that he's gonna hook hook her up with Felix so that you know, she stays safe or whatever. It's not, it's not one, another, yet another girl that James Bond has sex with. And then she quickly dies afterwards. Mm-hmm. At least we know that he's trying to at least look after her. Kind of hope she pops up in no time to die, to be honest with you. It'll never happen. Come on, man. Just it would be a great surprise. Sh- though. A ship's passing in the night kind of thing. What a surprise that would be though. Like wherever this Anna de Armas character pops into, like maybe Bond is talking to her at a bar or something. She went to witness relocation program or something. <laughs> so, ended up marrying Felix. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> James, I want to introduce you to my new wife. Hello, James. <laughs> Oh, oh my. <laughs> That's a good thing I didn't come to that wedding, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that makes me think of um, in License to Kill. There was a weird sexual tension in License to Kill between Felix's wife-to-be and Bond in that movie. Like right. Almost like they had had some yeah, previous but- history or something, and, and it just seemed a little uncomfortable right before Felix was about to marry this woman. I'm sorry. If you had to sleep with David Hedison or Timothy Dalton- You're going to choose Timmy Timothy D. Dalton. Exactly. <laughs> Timothy so D. I, I feel like I feel like that's going to be any circumstance <laughs> where Timothy Dalton walks in a room. Right. Oh, boy. Well, anyway, let's move on. Sure. <laughs> so from here, then we see uh, that great, great aerial shot of Bond driving the Aston- Towards the the Spectre meeting, 
And God, that shot is just gorgeous I know. with the trees and everything. I know. Ugh. And then he gets to that parking lot that's full of every car you ever wanted to have as a kid. In your whole life. It's in your all whole, there. They're all there. And you're thinking, you know, there's only one of those cars that's bulletproof. <laughs> Maybe two. Um, <laughs> so, so, Yet, you know what? That brings up a very interesting point. Was Dave Batista's car bulletproof? Because he ran into a whole flock of motorcycles and it nothing happened to that car. It wasn't fireproof, though, I'll tell you that. Gosh darn, wasn't. Um, so then we get the fun little Mickey Mouse line, which I thought was fun. <laughs> I will say, too, Daniel's Italian sounded excellent. Pretty spot on, right? Pretty spot on when he gets to the garden, says the little Mickey Mouse line. And I like the only thing I recognized in there was Stroon's. You know, asshole oh, in okay. Italian. Like, right. I watched enough, uh, you know, mafia movies. I know <laughs> what that means without the translation. So, all right. Now we come to my first big fucking problem with this movie. <laughs> this, this, oh, just get on with it. Just get on with the scene. Like, it takes so long for him to walk in. It takes so long for him to step up to the microphone and say things. It takes so long to pick Daniel out of the crowd. It takes so long for him to say, does anybody else want to go kill Mr. White? Like, all of that takes so fucking long, and there's no payoff. There's no... He well, he never shows He never shows his ruthlessness. If you're going to paint a scene like that, that moves that slowly, you better have... Blofeld do something shocking. You want right somebody to drop it. out in their chair into a tank full of sharks, Dr. Evil? Come on. You want something? Because I, I just, it was so slow moving. And again, what kind of movie is this? Are we making the serious, slow-paced movie type thing? Or are we making a movie where Daniel Craig slides down a wall and boink, <laughs> lands on a couch? And yeah. lands on a couch. And you got to pick your poison, man. And they didn't do that. And this does not fucking work for me at uh, all. I, I feel like it is a perfect modern interpretation of a of a Dr. Evil lair, you know, Blofeld, number it, one, number two. What it is, is but it's a boring version. But that's <laughs> because it's, Hanks, a, it's a Sam Mendes movie. So uh, it's 10 You're right. It is 10 minutes too long. But there was necessary exposition that needed to be there, sped out there. There was. I mean, we find out that he's like... He's like doing human trafficking. He's doing, oh yeah. He's you know there's like arms dealing going on. There's which all later these... ties into Mister White's reservations with Spectre to get some to leave. Right, exactly. You find out about all these god awful fucking things that he's doing. So there is a tie in, but I just feel like you could have done it so much quicker and efficiently. Yeah. Without it's just it's just I don't have maybe it's me as an American not having the the patience to wait for the lines to come. But I'm just like, come the fuck on. Just I feel say like, it. I feel like there was a, a need to establish the internationality of what was going on. I suppose. You needed to have accents and voices and different languages. Right. Um, the whole thing with the guy, I'm going to take over for Skiara and then... I didn't even hates- understand that. That's the other part of yeah. it. I didn't understand why there was suddenly this competition of of who is going to go kill him? Like, right? Who the fuck cares? Like, you, you, because you had to dis- you had to have some way to demonstrate Razor Thumbs Hinks is a <laughs> is a mean guy, right? right? Right. And you know, and granted, I will say that when Hinks comes in, it's the most entertaining part of this of yeah, this whole meeting. He is so intimidating just by being who he is. Yeah, and and just his little chuckle and his like subtle little wiping his hands yep. afterwards. You know what and- would have made this better for you is if. That guy, instead of being the guy who takes over for Sigiara, did something wrong. 
and Hinks was the punishment for yes, that. Yes, absolutely, right? absolutely, because so, there was no there was no prosecution of that guy. Right. Like, and this would have also been a perfect moment for Blofeld to maybe lose his cool just a little bit and say, like, why are you betraying me? Why are you betraying this organization? Like, what do you have to say for yourself? If you showed some sort of strength in Blofeld to sort of justify his normally quiet presence, mm-hmm. it would have made all the fucking difference. Or, at the very least, because really all he was was... Please continue. Don't allow me to interrupt yeah. at all. Which I love the subtlety because that was a Blofeldy feel to it. It is. But the rest of it was very off to the side, whisper, whisper, whisper. What I would have liked was for this dude. It was overkill. It was. You were, he was too subtle. Yeah. And he needed more interaction directly into that, which I think they were trying to save because of James Bond being there. Right. But what if this guy had been in the meeting? But he didn't even yell at James. He just. No. But I mean, what if what if this guy with got the eyeballs crushed, was in the meeting at the beginning and escaped as well and was having to get his comeuppance right. for not having that come over? And so you get Blofeld a little more involved, like, yes, but I put you in there for a reason and yes, you didn't do it. Exactly. Right? There just wasn't. He doesn't have to get animated about it. He just right. needed to have more dialogue. Yeah. And a little bit more conviction. Right. Because you could have done it all from the shadows and then had him turn around instead of being, I missed a subtle. He could have actually have been a little more animated when he turned around. And so, welcome James, blah, 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 and all that other stuff. That part of the scene was there to establish that Hinks was a badass. Right. And you could have done it much more quickly, much more in tune with it. But I mean, overall, the whole scene works for me because it's a grown-up version of a specter meeting. I, I, I just, for, for me, it just, it just took too long. It just, this is a perfect example of the tonal issues with this movie. I just feel like you got to make up your mind what kind of movie this is. It's either one or the other. And right now, neither one of these is working for me. That's fair. Like, honestly, I felt like the Roger Moore stuff was more hitting well for me. Whereas like the slower shit is, is where I started to lose interest. I started to just be like, let me just see Hanks be a badass now. Hmm. Like I'm tired of like waiting around for somebody to talk. <laughs> I'm tired of waiting for Blofeld's guy to like move the fucking microphone, like a foot closer to him before he starts talking. You know, it's just like that type of shit. Well, that again was supposed to establish who Blofeld I, was. I know, but it's again so, overkill. And the biggest thing that we're going to have the, the disagree on here is you want this to be a spy movie, and I'm perfectly okay with it being a Sam Mendes movie. These are our, this is a crooks of the difference between <laughs> how we feel on Spectre. Right. I don't mind these beats, and I've told you there's a couple scenes where I've always said the beats are a little too long. Right. But I go into this knowing what who is directing the movie and what it's going to be like. Right. So I'm less concerned. That's why when you know it's a two-hour, 40-minute movie that's directed by an auteur director, you're going to get a lot of moody stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, and that's the other thing that I will mention. Part of the reason why I I think I would have been a little bit more on board with this long scene if there was music in it. He plays the entire... It's completely silent. He plays the entire thing dry, and it drives me bonkers. Like, at least... Some cues. Yeah, at least... It doesn't have to be all the way across. Right, right. Just... Just something to like indicate some bad shit's about to happen. Like help raise that tension, especially like the guy at the end of the table that's about to get offed by Hinks. Like give us some reason why we should be worried. Give us, you know, give us some sort of indication or or strengthen that, you know? Right. Like that shit that shit bothered the hell out of me that that he thought that the scene was so strong that he didn't have to have any music. Or or he thought that it would be stronger without music, which I I think the movie is perfectly strong without music. It did need certain cues to keep you engaged. It didn't have Hinks 
probably needed some sort of an introductory cue. Yeah. He didn't oh, need a whole sure. he didn't need his own little theme, but, but at just the same s- token, what else is Dave Batista going to be when he comes strolling out in his $2000 suit looking like the Incredible Hulk? He's the bad guy, right? Yeah. But maybe if you had a little something when Blofeld comes out of the light and you you know, you get a little ping or some kind of yeah. thing to illustrate that this is a key moment. This, this is, is a guy. Pivotal. This is a guy that you need to reinforce the fact that Bond is realizing who this guy is. This guy is realizing that Bond is here. Mm-hmm. You need you need some more going on there, and it happens too late. It's not until Bond throws the guy off the balcony onto the table and runs right. that they finally kick the music back in. Right, because like, it becomes an action scene at that point. Right, but did you you did catch the point earlier on? And I this evaded me until my first rewatch. They knew he was coming mm-hmm. because where they're as soon as he walks over, the the big bald guys all like man. They start texting on their yeah. phones. Yeah. So I I guess up until that point, I had thought they figured it out. Maybe they interrogated uh, uh, Monica Bellucci's character or something like that, mm-hmm. and then somebody gave him the information to let him know that he was here just before he sat down. I finally caught that he knew he was coming the whole time. Right. Yeah. Because he's the architect of all his pain. Of all your pain. All your pain. All your pain. The architect of I... all your pain, James. <laughs> this is going to be the Christoph Waltz one. <laughs> you guys already got the walk and now you're going to get the waltz. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, so yeah. And then we get that. And even the read from Christoph Waltz, welcome, James. Like, yeah. it's so weird. It's yeah. so. It's it... not if you think it's Christoph Waltz. I mean, It's I weird guess. as a Bond villain. I suppose so. Again, nothing in this surprises me. He played Hans Landa in this movie. Right. That's it. He's only got one speed that I've seen so far. Yeah. He's Hans Landa in Django Unchained. He's Hans Landa in in The Green Hornet. Right. Right. He's he's the same guy and everything. He's a German Jeff Goldblum. (laughs) I play the same guy in everything I do. (laughs) It's fantastic. It's fantastic. What a bingo. Car chase. So, so yeah, then we get onto the car chase. Welcome, James, and he throws a guy under the thing, and he gets jumps in the car. Just a little parkour. That move, was badass. The little parkour move to get down and yeah, then into the car. Tuck and roll, jump yeah. into the car. Yeah. So, Does it ever bother you when you see in a James Bond movie he getting into the car on the wrong side every time? And my brain is like, no, other side, other side. Yeah, yeah. You're yeah. gonna get shot. <laughs> so okay, this now it's bulletproof, the, dipshits. The, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, why are you even bother shooting? He's an, he's an MI. After the first three bullets, why, why, would, you why just would you stop? Can, why would you waste any more bullets on? And if I may, I am waiting for the special effects guy that makes the ricochets hit things as it's driving. So you don't just see the little spark. You see a fart, a chunk of rock go flying off. Right. That's what I'm dying to see on a real bulletproof car. <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, I am of two minds about this car chase. Most of the time, I don't like it because what I hate about this car chase is there's no fucking other cars on the road. Now, I get it. I realized that they shot in a place where it was hard enough to, to even lock down the location as it is. It was nearly impossible for them to nail down downtown Rome. Mm-hmm. Like, they had a huge amount of logistical issues that happened on this movie for them to even be allowed to shoot there. Mm-hmm. But... What drives me bonkers, though, is the is that very fact is that there's no other cars on the road. There's nothing. There's nothing outside of those two cars 
that is interfering or causing any more grief for James as he's trying to get away. That's fair, but they do point out that the meeting is at midnight. I don't care. This is downtown fucking Rome, dude. That's... I have a I have an issue with that. Like So what happened was because it was in the immediate vicinity of the Spectre meeting, Blofeld decided, I want all the traffic closed down because I want to make sure that James, if he gets away, <laughs> there's a remarkable car chase as he's going down uh, with this WWE wrestler that I hired. It's amazing. <laughs> I agree. It, it does until they get into the little the, the tighter end of the village where they're doing the cuts yeah, and the turns. Right. It seems a little implausible that we're drifting. Next to the Tiber River. Right. And there's nobody fucking there. Right. There's nobody even... Like, just put an onlooker there to go... Right. You know, somebody, like, they they had to have gotten some extras, like, that are within a safe... You know, that are at a safe distance, but can still be seen in frame to, like, react to this crazy shit going on. Absolutely. Absolutely. It wasn't that great. But then you get to the part... And there's a the car chase is pretty amazing in and of itself. Yeah, as he goes through the guns and a gun doesn't work and the atmosphere. Bump, bump, yeah, ba-da-da. but the little roll up where Batista's all next to him as he's talking to Money Penny and they look at each other. Hold on a minute, jumps the brakes, makes the back turn. The chase itself is pretty great until we get to the most obvious Roger Moore era movie point. The, Ever the guy driving the, the old, Fiat, the old man See, in the I Fiat. I like that part. No, I like that. No, yes, dumb. I like that D-U-M-B, part. D U M B. Dumb. I'm gonna t- tell you something right now. That is the part that I liked about it because I want I more chaos. I want more chaos. I want more of that. Like, and in t- and on top of that, if you're gonna have Bond turn on the atmosphere and it ends up playing Frank Sinatra's New York, New York. That's okay. Then that's the scene. This scene is a Roger Moore scene. Now we're going to have a guy, an old man in a Fiat that you're going to push out of the way. I'm not saying it's not, but I hate it. I'm just, I hate it in Roger Moore movies. All right. Well, it's not funny to me. I love the old man. (laughs) I did. I fucking love the old man. The other part that I hate about this fucking car chase is him on the phone talking to Money Penny while he's driving. And what's wrong with it is that if you're going to have that, you need a juxtaposition. You need Money Penny's quiet life at home with her boyfriend contrasting with this utterly chaotic thing that James is in the middle of. And that car chase isn't chaotic enough while he's talking to her for me to like buy into the contrast between the two. They're both too calm. Like he's way too calm on the phone. Like he should be like wrenching that fucking steering wheel, trying to get out of the way of this car and that car. And and Uh, you know what I mean? No, I see what you're saying, but it doesn't take me that far out of it, to be honest with you. Mm. Because once you dial into the fact that this is a Roger Moore thing, you never saw Roger Moore get stressed out about jack shit when he was doing it. That's true. Right? I suppose I suppose you're right, but again, at least in a Roger Moore film there's going to be a a bunch of people like leaping out of the yeah. way as birds he's, flying. Birds flying right. like no, absolutely there's a on, lot of extra onlooker, stuff going on outside. It. jumping out of the way, all that tor- none of that shit is there cuz it's no. just dead. It's right. just the, the, there was that nice beat where he does tell Money Penny to hold on a minute so she yeah. goes in the fridge. Yeah. I mean for something to eat. Yeah. <laughs> Or and I and I do like the whole like that doesn't sound who's there at your house at midnight? Yeah. Why is he jealous? I know, right? Well, why do you, I would be. <laughs> well, why do you get? To, why does he get to be jealous? Right, exactly. Why does he get to be jealous? <laughs> so, and obviously, the only reason why he's even on the phone with Money Penny is so that we get the exposition about 
who this person is and why he knows who James is. Right. So we get the whole Franz Oberhauser thing. Look him up before and after his death, yada, yada, yada. Right. So you're also the, the pale, the pale King thing. Oh, it's Mr. White. Of course. Right. That whole Which thing. of course you're like, aren't you like supposed to be kind of a detective too? Or- yeah. You couldn't figure that out for yourself. Yeah. No, no kidding. But let's face it. The end of that car chase is pretty fucking amazing. Well, and that's the redeemer. The redeeming part of this chase is the very end when he ejects out and he, you know, just calmly lands. He's like, evening. Yeah. You know. That, uh, yeah. But I mean, getting into the waterfront, driving down the stairs, going up and over the stones that are on the ground. So they're driving yeah. on the side of it. The flamethrower. The flamethrower part's pretty cool. Right. And, you know, you're like, what is the ejector thing going to be? Because is James going to eject himself? Right. And then, and I remember the first time when I went to the theaters and saw this, why did he put the car in the drink? And I finally realized... There's a bunch of stuff he can't go any further. Right. So that's why. But he's so calm about it while he's doing it that you don't really get that thing. And then, you know, Batista gets out of his burning car. And again, that shot is so gorgeous of him getting out of the car. Also, little fun fact. Did you know they had to rip out the seats to fit him in that car? Yeah, that doesn't surprise me whatsoever. Yeah, that was the only way he could fit. (laughs) Yeah, and also I noticed there was one scene while there, one part of that scene in there where they show Batista in the car driving mm-hmm. that clearly looked like it was a digitally imaged shot. It did because it was heavily blurred and dark and yeah. kind of weird. It was looking. when they were up on the on the yeah. slant. Yeah, and they kept behind him and he's all and he's like, "Whoa, it's evil, 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 right. evil Batista." Batista, I yeah, guess. Yeah, like demon Batista. <laughs> yeah, like what? It's just like the Exorcist Batista. I don't get it. <laughs> but yeah, what he fly? That I t- and I told Susan, I'm like, that is totally Roger Moore right there. Hello. Well, and that's why I liked it. Yeah, exactly. I guess I guess that's what it is. It's like I wanted this to be. If you're gonna make it Roger Moore, make it Roger Moore, man. Sure. Like, like take it there, take it there. <laughs> so so after this, then we get to the uh, the Nine Eyes meeting with uh, M and Tanner and C, and uh, we get the vote, and the vote doesn't go through just yet. Um, but then we get that great like street race headline that's that must have been fun to mock up for somebody on the team, no doubt. Um, that Tanner's looking at and Tanner suddenly is immediately like emailing M who's literally two seats away. Like, do we know Bond is actually in London? (laughs) Right. Holy shit. Which is a weird thing. I will say this. It was a little weird that Tanner was kind of uh, fibbing on Bond. I would have expected Tanner to sort of like help cover up, but I guess Tanner's far enough up the chain at this point in the chronology of this. Yeah. That like, I guess it's okay. He's he's M's man, regardless of who M is. Right. And they were clearly doing the 24, 48 hours thing for Tanner's benefit. Right. So, yeah. But the thing I hated the most about that scene was, you know, M's whole democracy, blah, blah, blah. Like, you petulant little child. Stop being all gripey about it and fucking do something about it. Right. That's democracy. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then I do, of course, like that right after the meeting, not even, yeah, right as the meeting is sort of ending. Uh, M gets on the phone with Q and is chewing his ass out about where's I need eyes on Bond now or else you're in a deep ass shit. You know, he's like and he sees that he's in like, I forget where at this point. I think he's near Austria or something like that. Yeah. Austria because he's going to see Mr. White and he's like, yes, sir, I have him. He's in Chelsea. (laughs) It's like, no, no. no." And I don't know if you got this, but the second time I watched it, I'm like, Chelsea who? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we'll see for me being the football fan. I uh, no, was... no, I, I understand where it's coming from. But I mean, that could be a perfect. No, no, I meant he was actually in a girl named Chelsea. M. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 
<laughs> Chelsea O'Reardon. Uh, oh, whoops. Oh, sorry. I mean, uh, hello, er, uh, er, hello, hello. <laughs> so yeah, and that uh, that about brings us into the uh, the second yeah, act of this movie. So we immediately jump into Austria, and hey, look, here's Mister Bond being all cool and his L, his, his J Crew clothing <laughs> with his dashing little action hat on, driving on his teeny tiny little boat. Teeny tiny, teeny bitch. tiny little boat. The boat that was in every single trailer for this movie. Yeah, see exactly. So here's a key: if you're looking for bad guys that you know, know that Mister White. Likes to live on lakes, apparently. So this was a good place for him to start yeah, uh, yeah, with yeah. a house on the lake. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I will say I don't hate this scene. I like this scene. There, It's good. Uh, the tension is good. Yeah. It's paced very well. Yeah. And, I, you know, it, it, thinking about it now, when you think about scenes where it's Daniel Craig and another actor, mm-hmm. those scenes are way more solid than when it's Daniel Craig or a bunch of other people in yeah. a scene. Right. It feels like he's really good at the one-on-one pacing. Yeah. Maybe not so good at the groupy pacing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, for sure. This this whole scene is very good, very effective. And they skip the normal bullshit banter that I hate between people that are meeting again that are enemies for the first time. Right. It's just a straight up, come on upstairs, Mr. White. We need to talk. Right. Well, and I think the very context is sort of benefiting it. The fact that he's about, he's going to die anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, no matter what. So so you can be more efficient like that. Right. And I mean, the, the guy playing Mr. White did not phone in the performance. Right. He really he really came off as that I'm on my last leg. Yeah. Um, I don't care so. if you kill me. Yeah. And, you know. When, I'm dead anyway. Right. Until shit. Bond manages to pick that one emotional thing out of him. And he realizes that maybe his daughter would not survive him being dead anyway. Right. And that Bond was really the only recourse he had because he couldn't protect her anymore. Right. Yeah. He. Uh, I feel like Jesper Christensen really did a good job here. And I will say he also delivers what I would say, uh, it's Spectre. So there's not going to be, at least for me, there's not a lot of iconic moments in this movie. Mm-hmm. But but saying you're a kite dancing in a hurricane, Mr. Bond, mm-hmm. is iconic for me. I yeah. feel like that's an iconic line that will be retread upon you're going to hear that anytime you get a retrospective of bond movies mm-hmm. going forward yeah it's going to be in there that's going to be it in might there. even be in future movie trailers yeah <laughs> i don't know what you're talking about I, I don't even know i've never i've never heard that in another movie trailer <laughs> and i love after all of the other things that he gives them everything and he's just like goodbye kerpow yeah. i mean it's not even like i it's not sudden he's just like okay here i go patang yeah yeah so we get the yeah, the whole like finding out about Lamerican, find Lamerican, right? And, and, thanks, and that thank she's, you for being and that so fucking vague about it, right? Yeah, super vague. Well, and you can barely yeah. understand what he's saying. Lamerican, you must see Lamerican, and then she's at the Huffler Clinic, and that yeah. you know. But it's so fast that you can barely even like track right. it. You can't catch any of it. Then gone, bada boom, bada bing, um, and then we do a really hard cut from that. To, to M meeting with C and the new CNS. It's like, doesn't that really sound more like a news service <laughs> than a, a, a spy network? Yeah. Well, this sure. is CNS. You know, you can, <laughs> you can hear James Earl Jones. This is CNS. <laughs> I, I, don't, um, I don't hate the scene, though. Like, even though it's really quick, because just the, the idea that we do find out that he's, that C is spying on, his own departments, like right. he's spying on the double O's and, and the whole like difference between the morality 
we're, we, we get to see the morality difference between M and C and, mm-hmm. and I do kind of like how that is sort of this, this B story where you've got, you've got Bond and versus Blofeld, but then you've got M versus C yes. as a secondary story. So I do like that. I yeah. do like that it's structured that way. Yeah, absolutely. Although I will say that from my standpoint, um, it was these little moments where we cut back to C and M, they're a lot harder for me to remember in the narrative. Well, and they're slightly throwaway. Like, they, they, they are. They, not, not throwaway, but they could be easily left out. Right. I mean, I don't, other than Skyfall, I don't think I've seen an M character this involved in a movie, a James Bond movie, ever. Yeah. And I'm okay with that because they're obviously going for the more action-oriented M with and, Mallory. That was that was apparent from Skyfall. And the very context of this story sort of lends itself to needing more action right, taken by M. He's effectively demonst- he's defending the entire reason why his department exists. Right. And so he, he can't have Bond. If Bond was extrapolating on that nonsense, it would take you completely out of the plot line of mm-hmm. what James Bond is trying to do. But the best part about this is this is where you get the full, you feel like C totally has the upper hand mm-hmm. on M now. Right. Because M just looks like he got caught with his pants down. Yeah. And he's and, out of a job. And he's out of a job. So it makes the payoff at the end of the movie that much sweeter because yeah. Bo- he has to have his fall down on his face moment before he can come back and drop the mic on on C later. Right. So, you know, I think the big the big crooks of that, it's the whole Patriot Act thing, right? Yeah. You know, that's and it sounds like England has some version of that as well. Yeah. And it's like suspending liberty for the sake of free or for safety. Right. And you know, I have more than enough conservative friends that can talk about this. <laughs> I personally I feel the same way. There's a certain line you have to draw on the sand. And you know me, I'm not a big fan of shoehorning political anything into any yeah. movies. I will always call it out when it's in movies and I right. see it. But um, this felt a little heavy-handed from that standpoint. It's like, all right, we get it. Mm-hmm. What's the point you're trying? Because I never really got the point. Sam Mendes, are you pro this happening right. or con this happening? I mean, you made it be the bad guy, but were you rooting for C? Or who am I supposed to root for here? Right. And maybe that was the point. Maybe you were supposed to not know who to root for. Well, I think I... Th- I feel like M made a pretty good point in this scene as far as saying, you know, some of the stuff where he says having a license to kill is also having a license not not to to kill. kill. Exactly. As as opposed to just sending in a drone to mindlessly kill people who you don't even know are necessarily guilty or not. Right. You need a human being to make the assessment of what they're going to do. Right. And that was his biggest argument. That's why we need to have human intelligence out there. Right. So, I mean, I get it. It's just, think, thankfully, it was a short enough scene that it didn't drag on to some real political high volley. You never want crap. that in a Bond movie anyway. No, you don't. Bond's job is to go serve you Her Majesty wanna, and, and... Yeah, and you want a wacko villain that's trying to, you know... Do something bad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have down here in my notes, C drops the mic. You see everyone, right? <laughs> so, yeah. So we cut over to uh, Mr. Bond marching into yet another improbable building on the top of a French mountain. <laughs> like, is this Alex Ryder too? What is happening here? Well, it's on Her Majesty's Secret Service Part 2. Yeah, there you the go. The Hoffler Clinic is literally a, a carbon copy of the... Of the clinic that's at the top of the mountain in on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Right. And tell me again why there's a uh, wellness clinic on an obvious ski lift for the mountains. Yeah, it's because so... 
Well, it's so weird too because you see all these planes coming in to to land there. Right. I didn't see a single, and maybe I need to go back and rewatch, but I didn't see a single like chairlift that went up to this thing. Uh huh. And 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 so and then suddenly Q's there. Oh, he just you know stepped off the gondola. I was like, where is that? Like I didn't see a gondola anywhere. I didn't either. And I, the only thing I can assume is there are two different places because they show the gondola. Who knows? They show it. <laughs> As yeah. its own building, but it's not like it's attached to it. Right. And that, so again, why is there a wellness clinic on a ski lift? There isn't a big wellness clinic up in Vail <laughs> or Breckenridge. Right. Those are places in California, by the way, or Colorado, <laughs> rather. Um, if they were in California, that would be bad. You couldn't ski there. What am I thinking? Anyway, <laughs> so I always hate improbable locations for things. Right. Right. And when uh, a mountain with a hole in the ground with a secret layer inside it makes more sense than your medical clinic on top of a mountain in the French Alps, right? That's a problem for me. But anyway, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm just, you know, I'm just saying. And also felt like that concrete entrance into that wasn't supposed to be there. Like they're like, we need something that looks more officially like an entrance. Build something. Kink, 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 kink. It feels very industrial. It's, yeah, yeah. Like it's, what it's is weird. that building normally? And again, like I feel like this. Uh, would have benefited from more extras again, like more extras walking around. If this is an open clinic, yeah. If this is an open clinic, then let's see other people at yeah, the clinic. Let's see more patients. Let's yeah. see. All we really got were some security guards and a very creepy bartender that wasn't even serving <laughs> booze. Yeah, right. It was kind of a snobby. So <laughs> I don't know, snobby. More just like the perfect person to be selling you probiotic shakes. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. Um, but you know, we get, we get introduced to, to Madeline at this point and again, the fact, uh, yeah, you're right. Chemistry being what chemistry is as an actress to be able to keep having a linear conversation and have tears literally welling up in your eyes and fall down your face while you're doing it. Acting. Yeah. She's, she's a great actress. I mean, I saw a trailer that she's in, it's a full on fl- French movie. It was like some article I was reading about some recent film festival. I forget which one, but she was in, she was the star of this like French film. Mm-hmm. She looks fantastic in it. Again, I just feel like it's a casting thing. It's not, it certainly isn't her ability to act because she's a great actress. It, you're definitely not talking about a Tanya Roberts, a Roger Moore pairing here where it right. was just bad acting from no, her. No, it was well, just the type of person versus a different type of person. I agree. And again, I think they cast someone too young for the role. Exactly. That's exactly. all that I'm saying. And I know why you do it. I I, yeah. I understand all the bullshit reasons for it. I mean, have you seen her in the white pants? The white pants, man. Yeah, I saw her in that silky silver dress on the train. That was yeah. all I needed. But I that, just, that's that's not... But I, <laughs> this might be where I, I, I agree with you the most on the commit to the bit thing. Yeah. If this is a grown-up James Bond... He has had, for the most part, growing up contemporary women to go along with exactly. him. Exactly. In Quantum, he had Olga Kurlyenko, and there wasn't really a romancy thing going on there. Right. In that particular movie. Right. Um, in Skyfall, everybody was a throwaway. Eva Green is such but, so perfectly right, matched right, to him as an actor, age appropriate, um, life experience appropriate. Exactly. It ticks all the boxes with with like Eva Green. Same thing. Even though she's severely unused is Severin. Mm-hmm. Um, she's like the perfect tragic figure in Skyfall. Right. Who, but who's of the right age. Right. You know, and that's the thing. And she's seen some shit. 
She's been through that's some a, shit. That's what I'm saying. They're just a, uh, Leia Sadu doesn't feel like she's seen any shit. Right. And she's been, she's essentially been sheltered or self sheltering to get away from her father. Right. For a good chunk of her life. Yeah. And so I, it almost feels like, you know what we should do since we're kind of trying to make a Roger Moore movie? Let's get somebody who's entirely not the right age to be the character here that James falls but for. But she's really hot and she can act really well. So, yeah. So there's that. <laughs> it's a lousy justification, but I honestly believe that probably was going on in the production oh, yeah. office. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, so they have their little thing. I do. <laughs> not the not the type of thing you can put, put on, on a form. Exactly. <laughs> you know, would you say that your job is stressful? Sometimes. Do you exercise when I have to? <laughs> you know, just just really good bond answers yeah. to those questions. And then she boots him yeah. right out of there. Well, what's funny, though, is... He's still within eye shot. He's just hanging out at the at the, <laughs> the at, the, shake at bar. the probiotic shake bar, just hanging out, and then Q rolls in right. out of nowhere, so <laughs> unexpected. But then you're like, "Oh yeah, smart blood." Yeah, he knew where he was. Right, of course he did. But here's the thing that I want to go: if James had just gotten there, how did he know he was there in enough time to get on a plane to go? Was he going to Austria as soon as he told him he was in Chelsea? Not a girl. And <laughs> it, I mean, it doesn't really matter. Ben Wishaw comes in and just gives an amazingly steals, frenetic performance. Oh, yeah. Just steals the show. Trying to play on Bond's loyalty to him. And like, Money Penny. And Money Penny. Because they're both you are losing screwing their jobs. us over by doing what you're doing. And Bond's like, yeah, but I'm still your drug dealer. So <laughs> I need a little extra from you before right. I cut you loose. So here's this ring. Right. Now go find out things I'm about sorry. it. I'm sorry. You know that ring that's in Lord of the Rings? Yeah. This one is even cooler than that because <laughs> look what you're going to find out from it. Uh, which is my biggest, oh, I hate, this is this is that tech magic bullshit that you're Correct. talking about. Like this, this drives me crazy that he somehow magically is able to get everyone's uh, DNA. DNA, everyone's DNA, everyone's fingerprint, every, every like off of one ring, off of one ring that's probably been like, washed, washed, worn a thousand different times. God by knows a- what it's been put into. <laughs> oh, dear Chelsea, <laughs> <laughs> I'll see myself out. <laughs> but yes, that is exactly it. And of course, the obvious bad guy that sits across from him in the chairlift. Yeah. Also. I, I also have to point out that when he does the bait and switch and, and Q bails out yes. of the room. Oh, that's so good. The first time ever that a good guy has used a side door to hide effectively. Yes. Right? The bad guy's just like, that's your stick, guys. You don't <laughs> check the door. <laughs> also, Bond's line, when he's fighting the security guards, he punches the one guy. They stay. Stay. <laughs> I love and the stay even, line. It's not even a hard, like a dog stay. It's like, stay. Stay. No, no. Stay. <laughs> and then, of course, we get the great line at the bar where he's like, Here you are, sir. One prolytic digestive enzyme shake. Do me a favor, will you? Throw that down the toilet. Cut out the middle, man. <laughs> so great. Yes, that is a good scene. So... You know, uh, yeah that that slip when Q gives him the slip is yeah. so great. Yeah, and it's like it's like look at this. Q's got some fucking moves. He's got some goddamn moves, man. <laughs> so he gets away, but Madeline Swan doesn't get away, no, and Bond doesn't. shoots a guy in the leg because he can. <laughs> and then he's like, "I don't have a car." 
So what does James Bond do when he doesn't have a car and there's an airport around? He finds an airplane to take over. Sure the hell does. Even if it doesn't have any guns on it or is ill-prepared to be in any sort of battle whatsoever. Nope, doesn't matter. And again, Roger Moore, anybody? It's it's also why I I like... Roger Moore is... I can't help it. I like this part. I like the part with the plane. I love it. Roger Moore movies jump vehicles through improbable things. (laughs) And this... Is the most improbable thing. Oh yeah, of all. or for him to be able to steer a plane uh-huh. that's grounded while sledding on snow uh-huh. just by using propulsion? Uh-huh. No, that doesn't work. <laughs> but you know, but you know, movies. Roger Moore. Yeah, James Bond movies. You, you got to take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. Um, the fact, though, that he's <laughs> he's causing more damage. To the car that the person who's trying to save is in. Yeah. Then he literally, the other two catch on fire, or one catch on fire improbably. The other one rolls over after it stops and whatever. And I get that. But I mean, he shoots the car that she's in. He runs the nose of his airplane into, into the, the car back she's of it. in. I, it's like, are you trying to kill her or save her? Yeah, what are you trying to accomplish? And what about Dave Batista's gun in that? Oh Is my it God, like a that, shotgun pistol? That double-barreled pistol thing? What the heck? Yeah, that was something else. And I, I love I love that when she's in there and the guy's got the hypodermic and then Bond flies over, gets his attention. She grabs the hypo like, I am not a damsel in distress. Whoa-pow! And then yeah. kills the guy with it. And then... Jesus just turns around with a gun. I was like, hey, I'm still here. <laughs> Did you see Guardians of the Galaxy? <laughs> that was me. You know, uh, one of the things I would say, too, about this whole, this scene between her uh, stabbing the guy with the, you know, whatever trank was in that needle or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then even after this, after Bond you know, T-bones the Land Rover or whatever mm-hmm. and like pulls her out and she gets totally pissed off at him. At and, him, yeah. Yeah, and she's like, did you ever stop to think that maybe you led them to me? That whole thing, It at least they wrote her really well and she's really smart in this. Like, yes. she's not Christmas Jones. No. You know, like she's actually a believable, okay, somebody can piece all that together. She's legitimately, A, the daughter of an assassin right. and B, a doctor who knows what the fuck they're doing. Right. Well, then that's it. I mean, even Blofeld says it later on. The one girl that could have understood you, the daughter of an assassin. Yes. Right? And that kind of drives home that point. She has had the exposure to understand what a person like James Bond not only goes through, but the kind of damage he can cause by doing what's just his job. Right. But at the end, she has to capitulate because, yeah, you're not going to do this without me. You're going to die. Yeah. Even though I nearly killed you three times trying to save you. (laughs) But just pointing that out. Anyway, so they go back and they talk to Q. And Q's all like, okay, I'm on your side now. I get it. Oh, this this explanation and just oh, it all ties together, Bond. It's all it's all ties together. And he has that very handy graphic. The graphic. This is this is the thing. Oh, this is what I'm God, talking about magic so computers. Bad, the- all of the graphics in here oh. feel they're so high level and infographic-y. They're so corny, though. Like They're the worst. Like it's the, like the like, worst 90s fake computer uh, that what computers can't do in the 90s. They've yeah. translated to, yes, it can do this, but there's no data that you could get to make it generate something like this. You can't set a metal ring on a little plate right. and have a computer draw in DNA? DNA? Uh-huh. Without... Without a chemical or or you'd have to put it in liquid or some I mean well I'm not then, a scientist, but I know that you need well, more than a than a some fancy metallic plate to set a ring on 
right. to get DNA evidence off of. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna say one thing <laughs> that sort of makes it legitimized to me is when I first the first couple times I watched this movie, I thought that like this ring had passed on to all these different people. Mm-hmm. But somehow they got the ring from the dead body and they went on. When I looked, I actually froze the graphics on the second viewing oh, so no. I could read the screen. Oh, no. The ring is connected by a rare metal element that's in it. Oh, Jesus. So the ring that, that Silva had on had the same metal. metal in it. And the green had and that Mr. White had. And it was those rings that were the, the rare metal that was tying it back. I think they didn't say it, I'm pretty sure. Well, that's the thing. Like, you can't just expect to put it on a, a computer graphic and expect the audience to go, oh. I think it's tied back to the meteorite. I think it's a meteor metal that they were looking yeah. at. And if they had well, just- That makes sense. That if totally, they had just said that- if, Right. Then it would have been way less like- The ring is made out of some sort of meteorite material, blah, blah, blah. That's all that Q had to say. To fix that whole thing. And then scene. when you walk in and see that, you're like, that's how they connect it. It's a rare metal that's only available in this one rock. Right. And Bond sees the rock and goes, uh-huh. And then, and then that meteorite scene towards the end of the movie- Makes perfect sense. Wouldn't be- wouldn't feel like such a waste of time. It absolutely did feel like that. It's the one throwaway scene that you could have yeah. totally ditched, had them sit down for dinner and have some meaningful conversation rather yeah, than talk like, about a meteor. Oh, it was so stupid. I hated it. Oh. So, yeah. But we get the gist of it from this thing, right? Right. And Madeline's like, oh, Lamarican's not a person. It's a place, you dumbasses. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, you know, its name is Spectre. Oh, boy. And yeah. spelled wrong, unfortunately. <laughs> um, so they get to Tangiers, which is where the Lamarican ends up being. And I don't know about you, because I know you're not the movie person that I am in some right. circumstances, but were you expecting me to walk into a bar and see Humphrey Bogart in there standing next to a guy playing piano? You know, because the Cafe American yeah, and Lamarican, and I'm just like, eh. Play it again, Sam. Yeah. You know, I just play it again, James. <laughs> I feel like they went to Tangiers just so they could go to Tangiers. Well, they filmed a lot in Tangiers because yeah. everything else happens in Tangiers from this point on. Yeah. Um, you know, I love the hotel. I love the idea. And the hotel is cool. The exchange between them when she's obviously plastered. Bond doesn't get plastered. He just gets drunk. Right. right? But she gets so kind of like, you're not sleeping with me, and there's two of you. You're kind of cute, but that's you. like the, that's like the first time that we get any sort of indication that she's attracted to him at all. Well, yeah, it's. I think it's good that they play it off as much as they can. It's just the payoff gets very lovey-dovey very quickly in a yeah. way that I don't feel like is realistic. Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's like I was hoping that when they were still at the Hoffler Clinic and he was being when they were just going down the interview questions. I would have loved to have seen a little bit of flirty, flirty back and forth. Yes. Just, just like having him make her smile. Or try to. Or try to. And and them just having like a little bit more of like a, a, a vibe going on. Yeah. And none of that ever gets set up until this moment where she's so drunk that she sort of. Like her shields come down. Yeah. She sort of unwillingly admits that she finds him attractive. Right. Right. And then, of course, you know, Bond doesn't make a move. Right. He just sits there. And since he's on a green bottle in the second one, one has to guess that he uh, polished off the entire clear bottle of whatever he found. Which was probably vodka. Yeah, I'm guessing. But he drank an entire bottle of whatever that was <laughs> and then went on to the wine that she didn't finish. How The most amazing thing about James Bond is his liver. 
Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about like in Quantum too, <laughs> he polishes off seven, I think, uh, Vespers in yeah. one plane ride. Yeah. You would be dead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he has this little chat with the mouse. I lo- who sent you? <laughs> who are you working for? <laughs> <laughs> and then, he, you know, he makes the natural leap that there's a wall there. I don't know how. Well, I feel about it's because the it's because the mouse went under the thing. Well, I know, but he, mouses he, all go into walls. That's well, he's watch he's, Tom and Jerry. But he's desperate. He's desperate to figure out why he's sitting in this hotel. So he right. So he pours a little beer, and the beer rolls through the wall, and he's like, "Oh, yeah, maybe if I punch out this wall, there'll be something back there." Okay, and so when they get in there, and it's all. Super quiet exposition because it's all of what's happening around. How badly did Bond want to watch that videotape? Oh, so Or did bad. he want to watch it at all? It's probably a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B, because, I guess. Because, man, if you, want to, if you want to talk about the the dangling thread if he, in this movie. If he would have been alone, he absolutely would have watched it. Right. Absolutely. I do find it funny, though, that it was a VCR tape. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which we got to think, 2005. And yeah, no. Carry the two. No. <laughs> I also think it's really funny that uh, they steal a little bit of Winter Soldier action in this scene because we've got the old computer that still surprisingly works really well in the modern world. Uh-huh. It's like, it's, and, and I will, I actually checked Spectre was released one year after Winter Soldier. Really? Yeah. So I'm like, hmm. At least it wasn't talking to them. Bond, James. (laughs) Bond, 1969. (laughs) I have uploaded my personality into this computer. I have uploaded my personality into Blofeld. (laughs) And Chelsea. (laughs) Actually, Mr. Bond, you uploaded yourself into Chelsea. Oh, God. God, I hope this stays a joke forever. <laughs> it is now. <laughs> anyway, so they figure out that this little hidden room that he's in has map coordinates to where he thought Blofeld was hanging out. That is, Mr. White thought Mr. Blofeld was hanging out. So right. fortunately, they're right where they can get to there on a train. Well, and that's the other thing, too. It also seems far-fetched that he was looking for a satellite phone location. Or This is another mm-hmm. like techie thing that they just explain away with like jargon that doesn't really well, make it, a lot of sense to it me. It doesn't. I mean, granted, sat- satellite phones have been around for a while, but that place has clearly not been used for a while. Yeah. Also brings up, how did you get into that place without knocking the wall down in the first place? Yeah. So did he board it up and never planned on coming back? This is so, uh, these are questions that bother <laughs> me from a logistics <laughs> standpoint. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, at this point, if you believe that a ring can identify a rare metal element and DNA on people. Right. And you believe that <laughs> a $3 million prototype could get thrown into a river and that the guy who did it isn't going to get immediately fired from his job. Right. You can just assume that, yeah, it kind of makes sense. Can we get to the rest of the movie? Right, exactly. And then last night I'm thinking, why are there so many trains in spy movies? Because <laughs> they're great. Well, because so many spy movies were before planes were a thing. That it became a trope for trains after airplanes became yeah. a thing. Yeah. Because you can't really have a meaningful dialogue on an airplane. There's no dining cars on an airplane. Right, exactly. Right? Exactly. There's, no- There's dining cars on a, on a train. It, can I just say, too, and this is, and I know this is just me being an American, and I know. Are this, you being le American? I'm being le American. Um, <laughs> this is totally side, just a side note. For anybody who might be listening in like Britain, 
I have such a fucking hard on for trains. Like I, I've been to England exactly once in my life, and I loved being on the trains. Every not okay, I didn't love it every time because there were trains that were late, and there were trains that didn't happen. There were problems, but at the same time, I fell in love with riding on trains when I was in England. I fucking loved it. But I'm sure that if it was something where I had to rely on trains. I'd probably be way more annoyed with them. Yeah, no doubt. So I, I realized I, I forgot there's that brief little scene where Nine Eyes gets approved after yeah. a, a, a surprise <laughs> bombing in Cape Town. Oh, oh wait a, a minute. With South Africa, the holdout? Oh, looks like they're on board now. Bye-bye, double O. I told my buddy from college who's the home secretary, we're done with it. Q's like, or M's like, well, fuck you then. <laughs> yeah. Basically, just the exposition to let us know that there are seventy-two hours left. Right. This is this is your these are your stakes. Yeah. Here's your window that you have to save the world in now. Right. So off you go. Um, so <laughs> I also like Money Penny's little squinty-eyed. We're gonna get you. Yeah. Look, exactly. As they walk past him. <laughs> I know. I caught that the second time I watched him. <laughs> Her little stink eye yeah, that exactly. she gives C, and then C's all like, "What evs?" <laughs> um, so anyway, back to the train, which you know, it's a train. The first thing you see is Bond like, can you get my tuxedo press, please? Because he had a tuxedo with him, of course. Of course. Yeah. The, the outfits in in this area of the movie is just, how do you have all this shit just with you all the time? Well, that's because everybody looks like they're but in a Bond. Dolce it's... & Gabbana ad from this point on. Because right. the desert lighting looks like it's highlighting the clothing. They just look like fashion models for the rest of this whole oh, yeah, thing, right? Oh, yeah, totally. And I'm okay with that. From a stylistic standpoint, I was fine. Literally, when they, when they get to the end of this this route in the train, and they're in this beat up old train station, mm-hmm. and there's gorgeous white linen, everything, and there's Bond and his his seersucker, his fancy, just you know, fancy tan suit. Yeah, I, but yeah, those, those so white, those white pants, those, <laughs> this silver dress. Well, yeah, I I, I am I am going to tell you something right now. When I saw this movie in the theater, and she comes walking in in that dress. I was just floored. I don't know why. I mean, she's a pretty girl. She's, I mean, I'm more attracted to Eva Green than I am mm-hmm. Leah Sadu in that capacity. But something about the dress and the lighting and just the everything was just, it hit me like Marlena Dietrich or some sort of blonde bombshell from the 30s. Mm-hmm. It just, I was like, wow. And I, I, I mean, wow. wow. It's crazy. Yeah, I, she's beautiful. She's beautiful. She walked in. <laughs> I couldn't believe my eyes. She was gorgeous. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, she literally took my breath away. It was just, and I, again, I've seen her in other things. She is not taking my breath away in those things. She didn't take my breath away in this movie. But that scene, yeah. I, I don't even know. Yeah. And then they get in and they're very, you know, all of a sudden they're very kind of flirty, flirty, lovey-dovey. Yeah. There was like a, well, a switch was thrown somewhere. Well, I like the, the the first half of this train thing where he tries to give her handgun lessons. Oh, she is so. And she just makes him look stupid. Like, she's like, I don't like it. I don't like it. Fuck you. If you're not going to listen to all me. All right, fine. I'm going to show you that I know I, I know every single part of this gun. And doesn't let the bullet drop. Stands it on its end. Right. I don't have to show you anything. I guess we'll hold off on the hand-to-hand combat. I, I did like that as the follow-up. <laughs> and her little story that made no sense at all. A man came oh. to kill my father. I was up playing. Didn't know he kept a gun. I'm like, am I understanding this correctly? He hid a gun in your bathroom 
and we're implying that you shot him when you were nine years old? Or are you mixing something here where you were hiding and your dad pulled a gun out of the bathroom and shot the guy? Because I'm reading it like she killed the person that came right. to kill her father. Yes. And her father hid a gun in her bathroom, which is batshit crazy. Next to bleach, I'll, right. I'll add. There's to bleach. clean up the mess afterwards. There's bleach in a in a nine-year-old's bathroom. Okay, now you're talking like a parent, which is hilarious. <laughs> but it's just a, this is either a boohoo story or a holy fuck that screwed up story. I think it's a little like both. <laughs> I wanted I wanted one little detail just to tell me whether it was one or the other because the ambiguity is still killing me I right think now. She, I think she killed him. That's what I think. Hence her aversion to guns. Hence everything else. But maybe it's good to leave it ambiguous. I, you know, I'm not very big on ambiguity, but anyway. So anyway, so there's another little interstitial in between the two train scenes uh, with M and Q and Money Penny. Yeah. Um, which I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I do not remember whatsoever. So it must not have been yeah. very important in my brain. I I just remember it because it's that rules restaurant and I went there. and <laughs> Like when I was in England, I went to, I found oh. rules. I found rules restaurant and ate there. This so is the, to. this is the, we, we found out bonds right after all. And, my, and M's like, I don't care. Yeah, exactly. We can't do shit. We can't, we can't help him. In fact, if we help him, it's going to hinder him you know, because then they're going to be able to track where he is and what exactly. he's doing. You know, if he'd said something at the beginning of all of this, at the beginning of the movie, when I asked him, maybe we could have done something. But since he's such a dumb loner asshole, he's right. fucked. And while you're at it, delete the smart blood files. Yeah. Delete everything. <laughs> Clean it all out. Can you still run things through the shredder? I've been around a while. <laughs> this That was kind of like M's little, we're all fucked moment. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. We can't do anything. Bond's on his own. Let's have a pint. Why don't we? Woo! <laughs> um, so back on the train again. Woof, the dress. Oh. Yeah. And they get super flirty. And I'm going to say too, this is probably the last scene in the movie that I truly, truly enjoy. A lot of it is too is the action in it. The fight is, yes. the fight scene is oh, unbelievable. It is, yeah. And well-coordinated. And you can still tell that 90% of it was Daniel Craig. Well, and that, that's that's the fight that hurt him. That's right. what, what broke his leg was right. that fight with Hanks. So kudos to you, Mr. Craig, and F you, Mr. Cruz. Um, <laughs> but- did you notice how quick those martinis got delivered? It's like they knew they needed to have martinis ready. Also, I find it, it's annoying. Okay, this is just me. I don't like dirty martinis. Oh, I don't I'm either. Not, I'm not a fan of them. And so it was really upsetting that Bond would actually drink a dirty martini. Like, he he doesn't strike me. If, if you're going to, in Casino Royale, order a martini with a twist, there are, as far as I'm concerned, most martini drinkers, you're either an olive guy or a twist guy. Sure. And you're usually not both. Most people aren't both. And I am a twist guy all the way. That's fair. And he was he established that he was a twist guy in Casino Royale. <laughs> and therefore... <laughs> yeah, but the pretty girl. Yeah, the pretty he's girl. Deferring he's deferring to the pretty, deferring to the but pretty girl. Let's really face it. Is it alcohol? Yeah. He's going to drink it. Yeah. Is it a girl? Yeah. yeah. He's going to screw it. <laughs> I mean, these are his rules. This is true. These, these are, are the rules. rules which he has made up a long time ago. Yeah. So they're, you know, they're just being all cute and flirty. And but again, like magically in love with each other all of a sudden. Well, I think we're trying to say that this is probably the place where they fell in love with each other. Right. But, you know, she's really getting deep into his psyche. And, and this is the moment. See, this is the other thing. It's like she magically changes his whole, oh, maybe I don't need to do this forever. Like this one right. talk is what... Now I will say there's a there's an echo of Vesper, Vesper in, this. in this conversation. This is this is what I'm saying. She is the last she is the most equivalent to Vesper 
that Bond's ever had in a Bond movie. Especially with her reasoning in this conversation. Yes, absolutely. And so that's that's why I could see Bond falling for her as kind of like a substitute mm-hmm. to Vesper. I still understand why she would necessarily be attracted to something she's been pushing away her entire life. Right, exactly. And I mean, I get at the end of this scene, while they're, they're pound, going to pound town, what do we do now? <laughs> Duh, it's a James Bond movie. You're going to have sex on a train. But I think that happens. I feel like that is something even beyond Bond movies, where people get done with this life. Uh, yes. This, this like... And they need the release. This life-threatening situation, and they manage to escape it. They need a release. And right. so what do they do? They go bone each other. Yeah, no, and I, I'm with you 100%. That's what I'm saying, is that even with that moment, it doesn't... Maybe at some point in time after her eighth orgasm, she's like, I think I'm in love. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just saying, how much active sex was going on when you get your ass kicked beforehand? <laughs> <laughs> right? But anyway, back to the fight scene. Yeah. Um, oh, that fight scene is just so brutal. And, and Hanks is such a badass. Like He's so big in this scene. When he pushes himself through those doors and yes. kind of like throws his, his jacket tails back so he right. can like really get down and get get to business. Yeah. It's like and he punches the the bar, the the and I mean you're like, I would normally not buy this. But for some reason, how they were presenting Batista, and the like bruta- the brutality, yeah, the fact that he was willing to hit Madeline, yeah, and not like, not just like a go away, no, like literally knocked her ass her. out, yeah, and just yeah, it's probably the most brutal Bond fight I have ever seen, including the helicopter fight that was at the beginning of this movie, yeah, because it's so close quarters, things are getting broken and just, and you look like you have a guy who could be causing this damage, yeah, I think that's key. Yeah. You know, well, and he's a professional wrestler, so he right. knows how to sell that shit. He's, well, absolutely. He's done that for years, so it's he sells it so well. And because it's him doing, again, the majority of the stunts along with Daniel Craig, you don't get that feeling of, you know, that guy seems like a little skinnier Hanks than the one that right. I'm normally seeing. Right. There's no, you, you, you never see the stand in guy like taking the fall ever. No. And then I, I remember watching it going, they have amazing tailors that nobody has split a seam in the back of their coat or their vest. At this point. That's the real. That is real right there. (laughs) Now, I do have one thing that's a little, it's a bit of a question about this. And, and I, and I know that this, this goes back to like the days of Connery where Connery in all the, in a lot of the Connery movies, you know, he sort of willingly allows himself to be captured. That's what Bond did. I mean, Mm -hmm. Goldfinger for sure. But I find it really bizarre that, you know, they have this massive fight with Hinks. Hinks is obviously trying to kill him or whatever. I don't know. But like they finally get rid of him, which is great. Like the the shit. Like after <laughs> yeah, his only line, and it sounded like it was dubbed by somebody else. I know, right? <laughs> so, also, quick Jaws reference there. Did you get at all with the, the yellow things from Jaws going off of the shark? You know, when they shoot the harpoon into the shark oh. to keep it up. All I could think it was, this is like Jaws. <laughs> Fathump. Oh, somebody's going out with the last fathump. Fathump. Mad. Poop. <laughs> yeah. But what I was going to say was, so they, they managed to, to get Hinks off the train, but then they knowingly allow themselves to, to be, be captured, captured right after that, after all that fighting. Well, and my, my disconnect on the logic is the opposite of that. If he wanted him there in the first place, why did he send Hinks he... to kill him? Right. Why didn't you... Uh, to me... What would have been funnier is if Batista just shows up, 
nudges Swan over and just sits down and sits with them. There's no fight. There's no fight. They're just, you're coming with me after all this. Scotch. <laughs> and just orders a scotch. And so, yeah. And, and then you cut to them, all three of them at the train station. That would have made more sense. Right. How do you get your boning moment? I don't know how you get your boning moment at that point. But I, that was my disconnect. Unless he was just a randomly fired missile and they couldn't reel him back in. He was going right. to keep doing until he did what he needed to do. But yeah, it's like, why kill him if you wanted him where you're going? Because it sounded like you're planning on him showing up. Right. Spectre lair. How, you know... <laughs> I've seen a lot of Bond supervillain lairs in my day. <laughs> How did this one never end up in a movie until this point? This is a real place. At least this little donut ring is. Okay. The thing in the middle of it is not. Mm. That was someplace else. Right. But this little thing here, they said, had water running through it and eroded through to make a donut shape. And it's been a place where they corralled slaves and where Bedouins have hidden in life because it's Whoa. a good place to hide. Okay. There's no meteor involved. It was a rock that eroded. Nothing <laughs> ran into it. So they're right. making that bullshit up. Right. I actually looked into this one because I'm like, I want to know what this meteorite's all about. <laughs> it's bupkis. It was just made up for the movie. Because <laughs> um, I'm like, is there green in that? Because that might be a kryptonite meteor. It looks an awful lot like the meteor that got the kryptonite out of <laughs> in Superman Returns. But anyway. So yeah. So a Bond villain lair to be reckoned with, I think. It's just perfect. Well, and here's the thing. It is a perfect layer, and yet it blows up so fucking easily. Yeah. One tank. One shot to it, a valve or a tank. Like, give me the, the... Give me a... See, this... This, <laughs> this is it. This is the turning point. <laughs> it is the Death Star of evil layers. You know, All you my need wife, is Luke to take one shot. My wife pointed that out to me as well. I'm <laughs> like, yeah, but you know what? Bond doesn't have a fucking blueprint. <laughs> Bond didn't have several spies... <laughs> to die to to bring him these plans absolutely and let's let's the linearity of the explosions is even better it doesn't even start where he shot the tank oh, it starts at the back and it is one of the most gorgeous explosions i've ever seen in a movie but most nonsensical right it's so linear it make it should have been like this part blows up then this part instead it's Pop, 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 pop. We're going to go off to the left and the right, and we're going to zip right back into the middle. Meanwhile, profile of Madeline, profile of Bond. I love you. I love you. Aw. Uh, uh, <laughs> but anyway, we got a ways before we get there. Yeah. Um, they get So they get off the train in this rickety old station, and like I said earlier, it looks like some sort of a Vogue fashion ad. Oh, it absolutely right? does. Right? Those white pants. Uh, the, the whole white thing. I mean, come <laughs> yeah, on. Yeah. And then in a classic Bond moment, what is that? Oh, that's a 1948 Rolls Royce something, something, something right. with Kung Fu grip, right? It <laughs> yeah. reminded me of the of the the king in Last Crusade. You know, he's like, you know, Rolls Royce Silver Ghost, 1938. Fun, and I Phantom even like- two. Yeah, Phantom <laughs> two, And I even like the color, you know? <laughs> but, you know, comes up, gets him in there. <laughs> Sir- Madam. <laughs> and yeah, they just nonchalantly ride into it. Yeah, knowing that they're being captured. Right. And at least you get at least you get the little thing from Madeline saying, James, I'm scared. Right. And you get the hand holdy thing. James right. is probably terrified. He's not gonna tell you that. No, he didn't know what's not. going on. And then they get there with the world's most polite supervillain assistant. Yeah, that's weird. Well, and th again, this is like another one of my problems with this layer too is there aren't enough guards armed. Mm -hmm. There aren't enough armed guards around. If I was, you know, I think about like 
I've seen other moments where Bond is surrounded by guys, but they're not, but they don't have their guns drawn. Right. And Bond usually finds a way to twist his way out of it. Right. Why didn't he do the exact same thing right there? Nobody in that scene is holding a gun whatsoever. Right. It doesn't matter if there's like, maybe there's somebody pointing guns at him from afar or whatever, but it's right. like, yeah. Well, we know. saw a bunch show up at the end of this scene. But where were they in the... Where were they right here? Yeah. Like, okay, you're just going to give them your fucking gun and like... And why Why was he... Why It was a complacency that I had the problem yeah. with. Yeah. Why wasn't Bond just going, okay, I'm going to go do this and find him and shoot him and be done with right. it? Right. It's like, let's go through the whole rigmarole. Because literally from the point of the lair to the, the helicopter crashing, it's... Let me share my evil plan. That's the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't stop. It keeps on going. My evil plan is so complex that you won't even be able... I don't even understand <laughs> oh, it. Oh, God. Right? Um, but the beats are nice. Even though the premise is a little ridiculous. I like that he stops them. He's very polite. They're very polite back. The little head nod with the gun was kind of a nice touch. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. And he pulls out. And I'm like, when do you wear a hip holster, 007? Never. It's right? always a shoulder holster. But you can't take a shoulder holster off of right. the cool, right? Right. Careful. It's loaded, right? And they put him up in these nice digs, which are obviously supposed to pick at them because there's a picture of Bond when he's a kid with Blofeld Mental and his dad. psychology. And then the picture of Madeline and her dad. And the dress for her that's just the right size. And boy, it was definitely the right size. <laughs> um, Bond, assuming he had a suit, because he changed suits. I don't remember Again, seeing a suit. He's got yet another suit from um, someplace nice. Blofeld Clothios. <laughs> um, but yeah, they're supposed to be going to dinner, but they immediately go on a tour of the facility. Well, and again, this fucking meteor room i hate it mm-hmm. it's so pointless it's just this whole thing is just for this dumb metaphor speak that's so stupid it's well, just then he said, you can touch it you can touch it you can love it <laughs> touch my monkey <laughs> what are you over there deeter and again like no music uh-uh. there's nothing there he, it uh, just feels so throwaway i'm like god i'm so bored like well, then it's a chance for them to do a little bit of word repartee. Well, and it's all like, but it obviously did stop, didn't it? Ha, got you there, didn't I? Ha, Franz, ha. <laughs> but it's so... I know. Ugh. There's no point to it. And yet, my little thing, if they had tied the ring back to that meteor... Right. Would have given it some gravitas, at right. least. Yeah. Who cares about a damn rock? Nobody gives a shit if it doesn't have anything to do with the rest of the story. No. At all. I would rather have seen them sitting in the tables, eating dinner uncomfortably, like Han Solo and Princess Leia on in Empire Strikes Back, mm-hmm. than I would rather have had this whole meteorite bullcrap because yeah. it just makes it makes no sense at all to yeah. me. And then so the only good part that comes after this, you know, when we get into the torture scene, they go in and they show all the technicians with their computers. And we They're, see we see M's goodbye speech, right? Which isn't good, by the way. It's really is, kind of bad. And he even got a warm around. It wasn't a very good round of applause. Everybody wasn't very was happy like, with I it. It's like, oh, it's not a good speech. I'm like, yeah. come on, write something better for him, yeah. please. Yeah. yeah, well, you know, he can't even remember Many Penny's birthday. How can he write a speech? <laughs> um, but some of the some of the things that are in there. All of the technicians wearing black jumpsuits, right? Blofeld wearing the obvious Blofeld jacket, but open rather than closed. Right. That was one of my favorite parts. Was it's just dangling open there, you know, with the high collar and everything. And he's wearing the little slippy-on shoes. You know, like, what is your fashion, Blofeld? I'm a little <laughs> confused. Where are you going for here? Because this is, seems very not put together. But, I mean, 
it's it's very Bond layerish. It right? is. I mean, you get the, multiple you get the, hallways filled with data information streaming. And, right, and he's watching everything, and that's when we find out that C is conf- like we sort of confirm that C is yeah. working with Blofeld. You already knew, but yeah, he, he pretty much solidifies like it. Bond sort of spells the whole thing out, actually. Right. Well, and he, it's not overly complicated. You're doing this, this, that, and the other. Right. Really, you think that, that it, and it's a constant. It's like Barstool Brothers, which is Blofeld keeps pointing out, right? Oh, you know, brothers know how to push the buttons, right? It's Bond has got a lot of rage for this guy, mm-hmm. probably because this guy tortured him as a child, right? And mm-hmm. so he's carrying all that baggage. Hans hates him for his baggage, mm-hmm. and they're just they're they're going well, at it because his dad liked him better. Or well, whatever. yeah, obviously, daddy loved him more. But they're trying to make it translate, and it's not. Yeah. At this point, I think you needed to disassociate the I'm your older brother bullshit and just go straight to the Bond, I'm going to rule the world vibe and let Blofeld be Blofeld. Yeah. I feel like that would have been a much stronger as far as having them have this conflict between them instead of trying to make it personal. And and you're literally playing into the hands of, of like, asked austin powers at this point yeah it's it's exactly it at least austin powers is funnier <laughs> yeah you know so bond gets whacked on the back of the head and oh what, yeah right after showing yeah after showing Madeline's father's suicide right which a lot of good tension there from it from is. leah sadu as you you, know, you can feel like she wants to turn away and doesn't want to turn away at the same time mm. so again some smoldering acting there in a scene that was probably a little too long and definitely a little too stupid. But can I just say how much I hate the hitting people unconscious in the back of the head with a gun thing? I'm not really sure how that works. Well, there is a spot on the back of your head that if you hit them at the right spot, it will yeah. knock them out. Do you need a gun for that, though? No, so I never not. understand the gun part. Well, it's just, I don't know. It's dumb. It just sounds, it, I know, just, it just looks more I know more that it looks brutal. cool. It looks cool. But it's dumb. <laughs> and you know what's even more dumb? Torture chairs made out of dentist drills. <laughs> Hey, you're the one defending this movie as good. <laughs> I, I still think the movie is great overall. I'm just finding some nitpicky parts I, that could have been better. Oh, this this is another one, man. It's like, okay, so he's got all this like fancy schmancy uh medical equipment with a drill bits and mm-hmm. and going into different parts of his mm-hmm. fucking brain mm-hmm. and none of it manages to hit the things he's trying to hit. He's basically got bad guy guns. Mm-hmm. In the form in the form of drills, because he never hits the things he's trying to do. Like first, he's trying to blind him or take out his eyesight or his hearing or whatever. That doesn't work. Right. Then he tries to take his memory away. That doesn't fucking work either. Well, then he's about to drill through his eyes when it's all over with. Yeah. But I honestly, I I feel like that was more him just trying to. That was Blofeld just trying to scare everybody. Right. Because he, he even admits, you know, will I hit the right thing? I don't we'll see what happens <laughs> also kudos to the uh the bond villain cat on the floor yes yes that was i i did like that touch and kudos to him not striking the cat <laughs> because that would have been a little too over the top uh, yeah. for me a little on the nose um i don't mind the placing of where he's telling revealing that he's blofeld what i have a problem with is that it's not more over the top i wanted sure. it's very I, subtle i wanted that like reveal to be bigger to you well, yeah, but see, the thing is, in the context that they're revealing it, it means nothing. Yeah, it doesn't. Because Blofeld is Blofeld in every James Bond movie but this one. Right. He's just a guy with another name in this movie. Right. So you, you only have a connection to the 65% of the audience who has any idea of the history. The rest yeah. of it is just like, 
I'm a guy with a silly name now. <laughs> I just, uh, I, I just hate the fact that they made them stepbrothers in this. Yeah. Ugh. Well, you know, I hate it. I hate it, hate it, hate it. I hate it's it just... when you say this because then they're like, did we just become best friends? <laughs> yup. <laughs> I want to see that, that Blofeld and Bond movie. <laughs> There's so much room for activities There's in so the secret lair. There's so much room for criminal activities in the secret lair. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Ugh. And, you know, so, yeah, there was a lot of that, though. He talked way too much. Uh, and too long. And, and too slow, long. And, and there, was no, there was no purpose to it other than, in fact, he wakes up to him yammering. So yeah. the whole thing is like, this Blofeld really talks too much. In general and yeah. in specific. Uh, and the only good part of the scene is you get the explodey watch. Yeah, the explodey watch. You get like that little sneaky, sneaky part of sneaking her the watch. And then the other thing that drives me crazy is like after that, they're literally the next shot you see, they're literally already outside the building. Mm -hmm. They didn't have to kill anybody inside this lair mm -mm. at all. Yeah. Like it's just, and they're right out the door. Right. <laughs> right out the front door. Yep. He knows exactly where he is. And that, yeah. And then he's one shot killing like he's in Call oh of my Duty. Go oh my with God. With an automatic, granted, he has not set even on single shot. He's not even aiming. He's hardly covering himself whatsoever. He's like Rambo style with right. that with that weapon. Right. And it isn't until the very end he pulls out the stock to take out the two guys that are by that. And then the one guy, one, watch this. Pop. <laughs> boom. Because I'm James motherfucking Bob. But that does play into his actual... Yeah, it's a skill like, set. Don't get a, me wrong. It's like in the literary bond that he's a good yeah. sharpshooter. Yeah, no, yada, no, no, no. I get it. But you're only as good as your tool. Indeed. That is true. And that's that gun a, that's is a, not designed for what he was trying to do That's an excellent point. That's an excellent point. Why I point out Call of Duty. Uh, the, I just, the I super hate... shotgun that can kill somebody <laughs> that's literally on the other end of the map, right? Yeah. Ugh. And this then, escape, yeah. it's just, it just drives me bonkers that one shot, one shot to a gas valve or a tank or whatever destroys his entire fucking lair. Yeah. There's no way. Also, even if you do shoot a gas canister with a gun. It doesn't necessarily going to catch on fire and explode. Exactly. It might just let the gas out. I mean, you know what they could have at least done was put something on there indicating that it was a highly volatile gas. Just something. a little label just, that just said it was anything. something. Right. Just anything. It's, it's hydrogen. If you shoot it, it blows up. What? <laughs> you know, something like that. Yeah. But, you know, and they get in the helicopter. And, yeah. Well, I did like the nice little touch of as they're flying away, you do see the two cars in the distance yes. driving away. So at least you know that he got away. Yes. They dotted their I's and crossed their T's. For what it's worth. <laughs> For what it's worth. I mean, was that the only, the little lab was the only part of the building that didn't blow up? Because I feel like with that wound, Blofeld was incapacitated. Yeah. But whatever. Whatever. We're, we're, we're dealing into it. We're almost through, kids. <laughs> we're just going to drive on. We're just going to drive on into Act 3, aren't we? <laughs> we're finally yeah, at the final act of this damn movie, which is, <laughs> until we get to the next movie, the longest-running Bond movie that there is. And may end up being the longest-running <laughs> podcast that has been on this podcast. Oh, no shit. Um, yeah, I don't. I doubt that, though. Because <laughs> Act 3 Act three goes pretty quick. It really does. So from here, we get the uh, the meetup at the Hildebrand uh, safe house, which I did like they threw in the little Fleming Hildebrand house, because that's a Fleming thing. That's cool. We got the M squad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> So I did like kind of when they um, 
you know, like Tanner doesn't even know what the fuck. I didn't know even know this was a safe house. And M's like, yeah, that's why it's a safe, safe house. house. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, he goes, hold back. M's like, hold back and let me make sure it's safe. And he opens the door and Bond's in there. And he's like, it's safe. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, as soon as he's Bond in there, it's safe. <laughs> so yeah, so they meet there and... um you know, they talk about what's going on that, and I did find it really odd in there that like Bond basically thinks that Blofeld is dead. Like he, he says the, the, yeah, the, the, the fo- former, former uh, head of Spectre, right. Ernst Stavlo Blofeld, right. yada, yada, yada. Like, I'm like, really? You really thought he was dead? I don't think you thought he was dead. I mean, are you really that dumb? <laughs> like, come he on. He clearly is. <laughs> so he clearly is. Cause he is surprised later on. So, Anyways, he lays out what's going on for M, and then M's like, glad to have you back. We're going over to C's house to to take him down. Let's go. Right. So they leave, and then that's when Madeline is sort of like, oh. I, I can't do this shit anymore, James. Yeah, I can't do this. Like, you, you know, like, you're clearly still full-blown. You're an agent, and that's what you do, and that's what you're going to do, so I'm out of here. What I hate about it... <laughs> What I fucking hate about it <laughs> is that they just let her walk the streets alone. Uh-huh. Yeah. They let her walk the streets alone. We couldn't let Tanner or Money Penny Somebody escort go escort her. her. Right, 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 what right, right. What the fuck? It's, oh, God. It drives me bonkers. Drives That's me. That's a bunch of love her, James. Uh-huh. Me too. Me too. Good one, James. Um. So anyway... How about that convenient computer graphic in the back of the car? Oh. How much time you have left until the bad thing happens? That was the equivalent of like every bad 90s That's graphic. what I'm saying. It's there's a lot it looks prettier, but it's still the same bait and switch magic trick. That's some like that's some like Mission Impossible 2 bullshit t- right there. But you can buy it in Mission Impossible 2 <laughs> because Mission Impossible 2 is all about that nonsense. That is true. That is true. You could buy it in a Marvel movie. Because it's all about that nonsense. But the last, the impetus of the Daniel Craig movies has been realistic James Bond. Right. And this is such total horseshit. I hate it. I've hated it in every one of them. I hated the breadcrumb thing in Skyfall. No, that looks, that's so <laughs> contrived and stupid. Again, again, you're mixing, you're mixing two different formulas together. Mm-hmm. Not to their best effect. I mean. You got to stick with one, man. Remember when we were talking about Goldfinger and the little radar thing in the car and how it looked plausible because it literally had what looked like a a, a microfiche or yeah. overhead projector map? It looked technologically accurate to the time frame. Right. I know that we have computers that can make pretty graphics like that, but the data involved in that representation meant that you built a program to tie into another computer to give you this. Nobody who's setting up this intelligent network has a little timer running until everything goes online. No shit. Well, and let's be, <laughs> let's be, and let's be real here. Like all of the graphics in this look like they were made by a graphic designer. Yes. Whereas like, if you're talking about software versus like a website, right. software generally isn't all that pretty to look at. Uh-uh. It's normally very function forward and gra- yep. and and prettiness last, which is which is why when you see the uh, Q getting in there trying to hack into it, finally you then start you seeing see lines code. of code. Then you, you see still the get the little blinky red things telling you you're successful, you're not. Yeah. But you you at least get the feeling that he's 
doing something computery, right? Rather than the magic computer that analyzes everything and solves your problem for you, right? Ugh. Anyway, so then you know, after Madeline just you know decides to walk away by herself, unarmed. <laughs> okay. Uh, so then M and Bond are in the car driving to go to C's place. Right. And of course they get T-boned by one of Blofeld's cars. Right. Which thankfully was not Dave Batista. Because I'm like, what if he comes back? He's like the Terminator at this point. <laughs> that would have been great though. I would have I would have been all in for Only that. if there was a final reconciliation with it. But because Bond had to get captured, there yeah. could, couldn't have been. Right. Exactly. So it's just goons. It's just your average goons. Yeah, you guys so, are going to crash, knock out, here's a hood, blah, 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 zip blah, tie. Zip tie, in push you in go. the back of the van. And of course, while they're you know like not paying attention to the other guy in the car, yeah. he and, slips away. And makes some sort of ninja move that gets him super far away really fast. Because <laughs> he's M. That's right. You don't know my skill set. I went Avada Kedavra or something like that. Imagine, <laughs> no, what is it? Uh, how do they 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 apparate or something? Oh yes, apparation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I God, I apparated. I'm sorry. I, or I disapparated. Should, I should is it know disapparated? this. I should, I should know, this, know spell. this too. My wife is like a huge Harry Potter. I should fan. know the spell for this. I apologize to anybody who listens to this because they think I have nerd cred. <laughs> this is really an oversight on my part, <laughs> and I apologize profusely. But anyway, yeah. So M gets away, and you know they're following. The, the rest of the M squad is following in. Oh, a yeah. The Scooby Doo gang. The Scooby Doo gang pulls up behind him yeah. and they're like, reverse. Yeah. And then, like, they, <laughs> they like tear ass out of there and then, you know, scoop up M later on. Um, meanwhile, we get James, you know, it gets dropped off in front of the, the charred old the MI6 old building. MI6 yeah. building. And I did like the handiwork with the two goons. You mean the Jedi Bond moment? Right. Where he knew who was holding the gun and where uh-huh. to go and how to, he like, just grab it. Did it, pop, 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 and then Hulk smash, <laughs> zip tie. He just like magically pulled himself out of the zip ties. Yes. Which would have never happened. I don't, that part, I don't care. I love that part. It was a great part though. I loved it. I absolutely. When you think about what he did in, in Skyfall, when they were doing the shooting contest. Yeah. You know, and how he just, kapa, 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 and I, it reminded me of that because they show that scene in the right. documentary, right? Yeah. And I'm like, I never realized just, how much he pulled off in that scene until I just saw it by itself. Not only does he shoot somebody, but hit somebody at the same time that's behind him mm-hmm. and then continues forward. So if I accept that Skyfall is an excellent movie and that it had that in there, I have to accept that Spectre, which I admit is not as good as Skyfall because Skyfall is my favorite James Bond movie ever, that he can do it here too. And <laughs> the fact that he did it like a Jedi Knight makes it even better. <laughs> I enjoyed that part because that's literally the only part of this fucking scene that I enjoy. No, the rest the, of it's horrendous. The, oh, oh my god, dude! So he walks in. Oh god, he walks in, and you see on the wall all the deceased agents that have. And there's that his have, name, there, and there's his name scribbled right. in. In it's this is like the Joker's lair. It absolutely is. This is so. It's the whole Bond villain thing taken to such a ridiculous level. You might as well have a cowl on and, and, you know. This is what we would have seen in Christopher Nolan's version, right? (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) It's just, come on, man. Like, it's like a, it's got that stupid funhouse vibe that Mm kind of reminded me of the man with the golden Golden gun. gun. Yes, I was going to say that. It's not in my notes, but I thought about it. It's it's a kind of funhouse mirror. Which is also, P.S. and by the way, why the man with the golden gun is so low on my list of James Bond movies as far as ranking. I really have a hard time with that movie because of the fun house thing. Yeah, I just absolutely. think it's so silly. It's like 
okay, I get it. Bond is a little bit campy, but like, come on. It's not Batman 60s television series right. campy. But and this- that's what this is. This felt just like that. It was so over the top campy with the... Oh, and there, there's this is oh conveniently placed net right here. Right. I wonder what that's going to oh, be used well, yeah, for so later. Like, Exposition, yeah. But um, foreshadowing. Uh, Sorry, my yeah. literary people who think I'm a literary people that was actually foreshadowing and not exposition. I apologize. <laughs> um, the whole walk through memory lane. Oh God! Oh, I hate. And it. here's I one thing I have to that. say: oh. if we ever form a movie production company, every time we get actors, we're going to take pictures of them like they're all taking mug shots <laughs> as part of publicity. <laughs> if they ask why, it's just part of publicity. Don't worry about it. Because I'm so tired of movies when they have pictures of people like in a picture of your girlfriend or your daughter. None of them look like a picture that was actually taken in the wild. Right. right? They're all just like mug shots. This or- should have been a mug shot of the bad guys and the ID photos of the good guys all the way across. And so not not a dashing three-quarter angle of Judy Dench. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So, but I mean, the biggest problem with this is that. At this point, Blofeld should have realized that his psychological bullshit isn't going to work on James. Yeah. But he clearly staged this whole thing to happen between when he left his blown up facility yeah. and now. Right. So he's, he's like, I'm going to make a fun house where James has to decide whether or not to save himself or save Madeline. This is the most silly bullshit James Bond moment ever because it's so forced. It's not, Ugh. this should have happened. At the lair that got blown up and the ending of the movie was the lair blowing up. Right. Right? Yeah. Instead of Bond going to look at the computer screens, he should have been walking through the psychological maze of bullshit. Uh, Right? So we basically have two Bond endings here. And the other one just, it's so long, it's so drawn out, and so uncomplicated. Yeah. That you enjoy the Mallory portion of it much better than the Bond version. Yeah, exactly. You're playing right into my plan of why this movie sucks. But no, because this is the end. This is not the whole movie. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. I know. And I don't even think this movie completely sucks. It's just, again, it's just, anyway. I'll I'll, I'll save that for later. Um, So then Bond finally finds Blofeld and he's behind a... a Bulletproof glass. Bulletproof glass. They just got into a building that's been condemned in like 24 hours. Right. So just all the elaborate shit that suddenly is in this this condemned building. Like, right. what, have there been people squatting in here for, like, months? Yeah, and it, exactly. It ruins this whole thing that he's had his finger on the pulse of everything forever. Yeah. Because he clearly could not have foreseen this happening. Yeah. So, granted, I get he's got resources. Nobody notices somebody taking a what? 12 foot by 12 foot pane of bulletproof glass into a building that's been condemned. I have Maybe issues. this is where they were holding Silva. <laughs> Maybe that, yeah, that's the whole reason Silva was there so that he could sneak in a, a bulletproof glass sheet just in case. So, so we get that little last little tete a tete, and he's like, Oh, you got to choose between saving yourself and saving Madeline or trying to save Madeline. And then Which is stupid because James Bond's going to be like, I'm going to die trying to save Madeline. Have you not figured out my shtick yet? Yeah, exactly. And he finally, at least, though, shows some like maniacal. Like he, he gets, yeah, exactly. He gets all excited about like he goes he's like full, I've really put you through the ringer. He goes to the full Christoph Waltz on that one. I've really put you through the ringer, haven't I, James? <laughs> it's the bingo. <laughs> exactly. He finally gets there, and like, where was this? Like halfway through the fucking movie. Exactly. Anyway, he hits the button. He runs. And really then not Jake, the hush, but the push that button. Oh God. And. 
meanwhile, then we've got a, a we go back and we see M confront C, mm-hmm. and and he's this, a total badass I, right here. Yes, I'm sorry. This is way better than the main plot of the story. Exactly. M is like in Bond mode. Yeah, in sitting this. in the chair. Half in shadows, letting the bad guy monologue. Well, and this is the exact recreation of Casino Royale's pre-title sequence. Right. It's like the exact that exact same moment replayed out where M's in the right spot and C's trying thinks thinks he's gonna mic drop on him. He pulls out his gun and there's no bullets, and he's like, Well, I guess we know what C stands for, don't we? Yeah, and you and I both thought it meant something else because it's careless, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Even my <laughs> wife was like I thought he was going to say cunt. (laughs) (laughs) Which I really wish he had. I wish he just let it float there. Yeah. And not said anything. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I I have to wonder if somebody on the English side of this went, oh, we can't let that float. It's insinuating that it's the one word you can't say. That's true. That is true. Because like in, in, yeah, in America, it won't, it doesn't fly as well. It's a word here in America. In England, it's it is nothing. It is, it is the the Voldemort of curse words <laughs> in England. So I think maybe there's a, but yeah, it took a little gravitas away from it. I do like how he, everybody's patting Q on the back at the end of this last section of the movie. Right. Bond's like, he'll figure it out. He always does. And then he's like, yeah, he's my quarterback. He's kind of brilliant. I'm pretty sure he's getting it sorted as we speak. Right. And then we get, as you had mentioned before, the really bad graphics as he's working on this. Mm-hmm. And then I will say it was unexpected how C died. Like the fact right. that, that the helicopter comes up and distracts everyone. And that's when C makes a move to try and get M's gun. Right. And then in the struggle, they, you know, the gun fires and the glass is all falling down. And that's when like C loses his footing and falls to his death. I mean, he does a Hans Gruber. He does the Hans Gruber. <laughs> it's all slow moe. I'm like, where's the wristwatch falling off? <laughs> One hopes that Kerry Fukunawa pulled the string on him one second before he thought, he's like, this worked in Die Hard. I think we could do it here with Andrew. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I didn't mind. I, I kind of enjoyed this part of it. I, I thought. Like I said, I, I love the Mallory parts better yeah, than the Bond parts. Like it sort of makes sense that C would make that kind of mistake. Yes. Because he's not a fighter dude, whereas no. M, M has a military history. Right. So he he's going to come out on top here. Exactly. And so that part all works. Then we go back to the fun house. <laughs> Do you trust me? Do I have a choice, she says? Yes. Well, even just finding her. I mean, this is a building that is like, what, 20 stories up? Has like a thousand rooms in it? But of course, I mean, uh, and of course he goes for the obvious place. Well, it's he's, she's probably up in M's office. Right. Where M's old office was. And sure enough. There she is. There she is. Well, and you know, there's a the helicopter. He knew. He was, it's like Brofeld knew he was going to find her. Right. He gained one. Yeah. And they're going to have enough time. Again, it's just a little too Batman-y. A little too like, I know you're going to get out of this, but I just enjoy watching you squirm. So here's my thing. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a supervillain, right? We all know. I'm, <laughs> I'm in my helicopter. I'm watching my arch nemesis just about to save the woman that he loves. I know he's got an escape route. He can just jump down through that hole and hit the net. I've got all these things wired up. Why don't I have a remote detonator? As soon as I see them leave the hidey hole, why am I not? Goodbye, James. Right. Why wouldn't you? Right. Nothing. How is this guy so smart that he's got his finger on the pulse of everything? 
but he can't come up with a remote detonator, which is something that they actually would have used to blow this building up. This is another this is another Austin Powers moment where they play into some of those bad stereotypes. Yep. Where it's like, oh well, I'm just gonna show you my whole plan and and I'm gonna leave you locked away with an easily escapable, you know, death. (laughs) Right. Yeah, and I guess you can't get away from it if you're gonna play old school Bond villain. Right. You have to do that. Right. To me, the one thing that I did not like the most about this movie was that fact that the internal logic starts to break down at the end of it. Yeah. If you're going to go for two acts with the same sort of thing that he's got, he, this guy knows his shit. Right. You have to write an ending that follows with him knowing right. his shit, where James Bond deliberately and intentionally does something he can't anticipate. Right. That allows James Bond to be successful. That makes James Bond smarter than him. He defeats him psychologically as well as physically. And in this one, it's just, oh, I'm a Bond villain. Of course I'm going to lose. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's just sort of predetermined right. from the jump. So then, of course, they they you know they get out of there on the boat right before everything goes down. And that's when uh, then the mystery of James Bond physics takes place. <laughs> Where they're on the boat and they're chasing Blofeld, who's in the helicopter, and they're shooting at a helicopter with a pistol. I don't know. Maybe and he I, can't hit the he can't he only hits the helicopter once with a longer barrel pistol, which should at least technically be able to shoot further and more accurately because it's longer. But he gets the money shot with the Beretta or with the the PPK, the Walther. Which he should not have been able to get any kind of accuracy right. with at all. And on top of everything else, it. It kills one of the engines? Yes. A single bullet? Okay, sure. <laughs> it's just, okay. Well, you couldn't have two helicopter fights, right? God. <laughs> anyway, so of course the stupid helicopter crashes and Blofeld just manages to barely get out of the helicopter and he's crawling on the ground and he's wounded and he can't really walk and Madeline drives the boat and he gets out of the boat and... Walks over. Walks over, and then he decides, you know, at that point, oh, well, maybe this isn't for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, it's it's a good shot. I love the way that it's filmed. You got Bond in the middle with Blofeld. You got Mallory on one side. Yes. You got Madeline on it's the other. very well. Which M am I going to choose? It's, that's very, yeah. Right? Very well put together. Right. It, Finish it. <laughs> Finish it. <laughs> Finish it. <laughs> Rock, finish it. Rock, finish it. It's like out of bullets. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't I don't hate that. No. Uh, once we get to this point, it's like, oh, the, this all makes sense. Absolutely. And you know, the little the little casual throwing the gun away, like I kind of liked it. Yeah, and he, and he walks, walks off towards, into the not sunset, but, but more or less. And this this is what I have told you since we started doing this podcast. This should have been the last Daniel Craig Bond movie. This was the bookend. Mm-hmm. We don't need to know what happened to his Bond afterwards. Yeah, because he drives away. He gets his car. He drives off into the sunset. Yeah. There's a little last Bond moment where I'm going to fuck with Q one more time. Right. He, he talks Q into giving him back his DB5 and right. drives off into the sunset. Yeah, and that's it. And when they said that he was going to be in this next one, I was like, why? Yeah. You just ended your movie, per- your career as Bond perfectly. And the fact that this is a we're dragging you out of retirement kind of movie, I get. Mm-hmm. But it's sort of like you just won your second 
Super Bowl, World Series, Stanley Cup championship, NBA Finals championship. Right. You've been playing your sport for 15 years. You got a couple behind you when you were younger. This is your second one. Maybe you retire on a high note. Right. Or you're Brett Favre. <laughs> and they went for the Brett Favre slash Joe Montana version of James Bond rather than just, you know, walking off and I'm done. Except the problem with that analogy is that this is not a great movie, at least by my standards. <laughs> and therefore, he needs to redeem himself in this next movie as far as... Well, what is okay. he Harrison Ford? Okay. He doesn't have to apologize for okay. Temple of Daniel Doom. Craig doesn't have to redeem himself. The franchise needs to redeem themselves. Which, again, they could have started fresh right at the get-go. They could have, yeah. Now, absolutely. granted, it would have killed them to have a new Bond in this pandemic. Oh, yeah. If you didn't have the people that were loyal to Daniel Craig hanging on this long... Mm-hmm. Nobody would have gone to see the new James Bond. We would be in real trouble if Daniel Craig had set sail away and said, I'm done. The the franchise would be in a real, a real pickle. Because <laughs> you got to get that new guy in there pretty quick. Yeah. Or you end up doing the same thing happened between Pierce and him. Where mm-hmm. People are like, I don't care about James Bond anymore. Yeah. Final thoughts on the movie. This movie doesn't know what the hell it wants to be. And I've said that over and over again. Is this a Roger Moore Bond movie? Or is this a serious earlier version of Daniel Craig? And the tonal shifts between those two don't work for me. Because one moment we're in serious Daniel Craig version of Bond in the pre-title sequence. But then even during the pre-title sequence, we get him sliding down and bouncing onto the onto the couch. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like, which is it gonna be? And you can't, I think the biggest problem I have with this movie is the is that you can have you can actually have those tonal shifts now that I think about it. It's really about how are you pacing this movie? Yep. And the pacing is what is killing this fucking movie for me. It's like one minute you've got this slow board meeting, which could have been summed up so much quicker. And and then suddenly you're in this awesome train scene where there's this great fight and it's well cut together. It's not overly edity. It's not overly choppy. Mm-mm. It's just conciseness would be nice. Yeah. And I think also the reason that this movie doesn't rate higher for me is that my standards have been raised, I think, with Daniel Craig. I think Daniel Craig's movies, whether it was him, whether it was the team that's making the movies, Mm -hmm. they raised the bar on the quality of Bond movies in general. And I feel like this one was a drop. I, I just do. Even... By comparison to Quantum, like, and I know a lot of people talk mad shit about Quantum of Solace. I love Quantum of Solace. I actually like the fact that there's a Bond woman that he doesn't sleep with, and they're kind of friend, they're kind of like partners going through the shit together. Like, I love that. Mm-hmm. Like, this movie, it's beautifully shot. It's gorgeously mm-hmm. shot. The production values are amazing. But then again, there's just all these tonal inconsistencies and I, and I want it to be one thing or the other and I guess me being me I grew up around Roger Moore <laughs> I found myself liking the Roger Moore parts of this movie more than the Sam Mendes parts of this movie which are slow and methodical and take too long for my liking I don't want slow and methodical and taking too long when I'm watching a Bond movie most of the time you can have a couple beauty shots here and there but like man you, it just it was just too much and, and so I like I like this movie. I like to watch this movie. I don't have a problem with the integration between the the older kind of referency stuff and the regular movie. I think there's just enough to make you think. <laughs> I remember when that thing like that happened before. <laughs> um, 
I absolutely agree with you. The biggest fallout of this movie is the pacing. It's hard to put old Bond stuff into a slower paced movie because you're used to seeing it in chop, 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 as opposed to long, chop, 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 long, mm-hmm. chop, chop, chop. Um, and so uh, from that standpoint, from a technical standpoint, yeah, there's some issues with this movie with how it comes out. But as a movie to watch and just enjoy it as you enjoy it, I think it's still a fantabulous Bond, James Bond movie. Right. I mean, that was pretty apparent for me when I watched the first time and took notes and I watched it the second time two days later just to watch it. I was really hating the movie while I was taking notes because I was like, oh, well, it's a little I mean, it's a little much to fall on the couch. I mean, it feels <laughs> a like they did that already in Skyfall, but now they're just doing it as a lampoony thing right. rather than something that's kind of a noticeable homage, if you know. Right. Well, for me, see, I remember seeing Spectre in the theater. Mm-hmm. And when that moment, when he falls on the couch, I actually loved it. Mm-hmm. Like, that made me chuckle. I was like, oh, it's a Roger moment. Yeah. Check. Yeah. Like I said, there's enough in there. But, I, like I said, I love the movie as a whole. I do not think it's a bad movie as a whole. I think it has some technical bits to it that, from an editing standpoint, could have been better. But I told you, like I said before... I went into this expecting it to be what I thought Skyfall was, which is a Sam Mendes, James Bond movie, not a James Bond movie directed by Sam Mendes. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you know the See, filmmaker. I think we got the latter. Hmm? I think we got the latter. I think we did, but I went into it expecting those Mendesy moments. Hmm. And so they are not as glaring to me. I, they're there, but they don't take me away from it because I expect there to be slow, 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 fast, slow, 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 fast. Whereas you're going in to watch a James Bond movie, you want fast, 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 slow, fast, 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 fast. It's all about the rhythm of the film. And right. since he made Skyfall, which was a Sam Mendes, James Bond movie, mm-hmm. it's all his pacing. It's everything he wants it to be. Then they decided to bring in other elements, and I don't think he was able to integrate it as well as he probably could have. I feel like uh, Fukunawa. I think it's Fukunaga. Fukunaga! Whatever you want to say, it's fun to say. <laughs> I think that Kerry Fukunaga um, is going to have a better grasp on this integrating of I do too. styles. I do too. Um, I don't think Kevin Nolan could have done this. I don't think any director who has established who they are as a director can make a James Bond movie that's James. You need a James Bond director, right? Yeah. yeah. You really do. That's why Casino is so great. Oh yeah. Well, you've got you've got a guy that Martin Campbell's like I know how to make James Bond's movies. Right. I I already made Pierce Brosnan a star. Now watch me make right. You know Daniel Craig a huge star. It's a Bond movie. Right. And then you you jump from there to Quantum, and that's a different director. But Quantum, I've always said, is a is a it's unofficial they, sequel. It's it's a bookend. You have to watch them together, or I don't feel Quantum has the same level of impact. Mm-hmm. So whenever I watch them, I'm like I better block out four and a half damn hours. Um, so then you get to Sam Mendes and he's like, I'm going to make James Bond an American beauty. <laughs> At least there were no rose petals. Um, <laughs> but how we didn't get Kevin Spacey as the bad guy is beyond me. Thank God. Yeah. Well, it would have been bad for the <laughs> franchise in the long term, but <laughs> yeah, she, uh, Woo, okay. we dodged a bullet on that one, yeah. I think. But anyway, <laughs> I like the movie. It is certainly not my favorite James Bond movie. It's definitely not my favorite it's probably I would even probably put Quantum of Solace above this one. I would absolutely in terms of the 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 order if I was going to rate them. Mm-hmm. But it's not a bad movie, and your bigger concern about 
retroactively putting things into it. Yeah. And I know that's your your kind of beef. I don't have a problem with it. Maybe it's because I've watched so many things that have been around for so long. Like when you're a Star Trek fan, you're just used to them changing shit around and figuring out a clever way to make it work. Right. You know, but I like layers and depth. I, I think they had the opportunity to make this pay off better, and they didn't because that entire last section of the movie Ugh. completely negates everything they're building up at the first two acts of the movie with. Mm-hmm. Blofeld is not this awesome guy. He's just an idiot bungler who knows things. Right. And and ended up killing his father because I mean, he was mad that Bond was more liked by his dad. He is literally Dr. Evil in the yeah. last section of this movie. Yeah. And I can't believe you're defending this movie. <laughs> Case closed. Uh, well, whatever. We will have to agree to, to disagree. disagree. The Indeed. end. Indeed. The end. That is enough of that. So uh, so I guess the next thing is there's another movie that's coming out in October. I've heard. I've heard there's a new Bond movie coming out. Uh, uh, I, you know. I, I, I haven't heard too much about it. Yeah. Uh, they're actually, it feels that, like they've been kind of keeping a tight lid on it for some reason. Yeah, not even, I don't even see any ads or, no, and it feels or product like it's, placement things. It's taken or, a long time for them to make this movie. It's almost like they did a lot of reshoots, and that makes me very concerned. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see how that turns out. Absolutely. But uh, yeah, as always, we're always looking for listener interaction. To uh, tell us how you like the podcast, or if you have any ideas, if there's a movie you want to see us, or see us, <laughs> if there's a movie you want to hear us review, like, please feel free to, uh, you can go through email at cicdeaddrop at gmail.com, um, Central Intelligence Cinema on Instagram, uh, just um, separated by underscores, or on Twitter at CIC Spy Pod. And, you know, uh, you're at a good point if you come in and you want to start recommending movies because we still don't have a very large database of films that we've thrown in there. <laughs> so there's a pretty good chance that uh, we haven't done the movie that you're looking for. Indeed. And, you know, we actually, you know, we had fun with Captain America Winter Soldier, which was our, our first listener request. Obviously, because I'm a Marvel guy, so I got to have a little bit of fun with it as well. <laughs> but it was kind of an off the beaten path kind of thing for us. And mm-hmm. I think that gives us the opportunity to kind of go out of the the wheelhouse and have a little more fun before we tighten back in on the spy thing and kind of refocus where we're at. So don't be afraid to put something that seems like it's a wild card too, if you have an idea like that. Indeed. So remember, it has to be spy centric. Adjacent. Adjacent. It doesn't necessarily have to be spy forward, right? Right. So if you guys think it's something that you like from your childhood and we you think we might like it, let us know because you never know. It might be something that'd be fun and get some really good from material for us while we're listening. Indeed. Um, and along those lines, um, we will we'll ask you if you are enjoying this podcast to uh, give us a good review on whatever platform you're listening to it on. Five stars is a preference. If they have six, go ahead and give us six. Six. If they only have four, we're good with four too. Five <laughs> is not a hard number. Just make sure all those stars are yellow or red or whatever the color. No little hathies. None of the halfsies all the way across. Who okay? goes halfsies on really, a star? Right? I mean, come, come on. on. There shouldn't even be a half. It's either three or four, four or five. <laughs> but give us a review. Even if you're just throwing the stars on, it gets us out there to more people um, so that they can listen to the wonderful inanity of what our <laughs> program is um, that you're enjoying and we're enjoying doing for you. Um, so give us can, a shout in that way. And we can grow our little spy network. Exactly. So that we're all figuring things out before everyone else's. And then we absorb MI6, and then we start a whole thing, and then revenge on our stepbrothers. Oh, my gosh. 
Well, with that, <laughs> I'm Ben. And I'm Jason. <laughs> and the CIC will return with more missions, more martinis, and more mailed. <laughs>